golden god! An equal amount of blueberries in each muffin. To a new world of gods and monsters. <laughs> Who's weirder, you or me? You just put the law in my hands, and I'm gonna break your heart. Nobody puts baby in the Whatever you do, don't fall asleep. <laughs> Hello, everybody, and welcome back to Movies for a Life. I am one of your co-hosts, Michelle Egan. And I'm your other co-host, Brian Kuyper. I almost forgot my name there for a second. Say, <laughs> you had a little pause for I a second. I did. It was, you did uh, all right? You know, it's it's morning. Coffee has been drunk, like two cups. Uh, I'm Are you feeling, feeling interesting? I'm feeling interesting. <laughs> um, I'm hoping that it is interesting in the sense of being able to say interesting things. We'll see. We'll see what happens. We'll see what, what happens. About that? Okay. <laughs> All right. So for today's episode, we're starting a new series. Super exciting, right? Yes. Uh, we're going to be talking about some remakes. We're going to look at the original film and a remake. And this one actually, I would say, isn't <laughs> the first one we're doing. I don't say it's not really a remake. It was more like just a using of the IP reworking re-imaging but anyway which one are we doing what's the what's the og brian the og this is your is pick the 1933 james whale classic from universal studios the invisible man yeah my favorite universal monster movie it's up there for me yeah. i have a hard time choosing i think i'm a frankenstein guy but this one i think you are too yeah this is awesome five-star movie though so. hell yeah and then the movie that I'm, I'm bringing is, of course, the 2020 re-imaging from Lee Winnell, The Invisible Man. The most recent movie that we've done, which is pretty cool. That is, yeah, it is. It is. Um, also, when we're talking about doing originals and remakes, most of the ones that we have in mind are pretty different from each other. Oh, yeah. You know, that's most what, of them are fun. like total reimaginings of the source material. Mm-hmm. Um, so when we get to some that are coming down the line, don't think we're talking about the same movie twice because we're not. Right. It's going to be pretty different kinds of movies. That's why I say this one's not really a, it's not really a remake of the original invisible man it's just like taking that idea which is he's actually doing what a remake is supposed to do i think mm-hmm. and just taking the the core idea and modernizing it and making it work for today's audiences which i think this one does really really well yeah and you know there hasn't been very many official remakes of the invisible man the only official ones were uh, a 1954 Japanese movie that I haven't seen. I'm dying to see it, but I just can't yeah. track it down. Um, is called The Invisible Man, sometimes called The Invisible Avenger. And then Lee Whannell's version from 2020. There have been other Invisible Man movies. I mean, there's Memoirs yep. of an Invisible Man, which is kind of a comedy. Uh, there's the whole series of Universal films, which are not really... Which are all interesting. 
in some way or another, but they're they're not exactly sequels. It's hard to yeah, describe them. Some of them are. Yeah, some are, some aren't. Um, and then there is Hollow Man from 2000, which I actually think has some interesting ideas uh, going on. Uh, I think it's a I, better yeah. movie than Paul Verhoeven gives it credit for being. <laughs> yeah, I rewatched that recently. I remember not just being like grossed out by it mostly, but I rewatched it and I, I I did like it. It's a it's a pretty good movie with some good ideas again, but you know just except for the rapey stuff <laughs> uh, yeah i mean but at the same time it's something that we have talked about off mic you know through our text chain i think there's an interesting something that is brought up yeah uh, by hollow man and then explored in hollow man that is just sort of touched on in the other two versions so i think it may come up somewhere in our conversation here all right let's get going on the uh, the original invisible man okay so from like i said from 1933 directed by james whale after frank Frankenstein was a big hit. Universal wanted James Whale to make a sequel to Frankenstein, and he said, "No, I don't want to make. I don't want to make that." So instead, he made some other things, including the Old Dark House, and then he made some non-horror films uh, that are kind of hard to find, to be honest. But uh, I'd be interested in seeing. And then he was given the opportunity to make The Invisible Man, and he said, "Okay." But I'm going to make it the James Whale way. And the James Whale way is, I think, uh, a blending of comedy and horror in a way that is unlike really anyone else has ever done it. Uh, I think he was the first to really do it well. And it's kind of unparalleled. I mean, you think about the comedy horror films he made, this one and and Bride of Frankenstein are both just kind of masterpieces of that sort of subgenre of horror. And both of them, I think, are genuinely have genuinely scary moments uh, or at least horrifying moments. And both of them have absolutely hilarious sequences to them that really still hold up. I would agree. Okay. Well, good. <laughs> I always feel like I dominate the conversation when we're, when, when I in the movie that I'm talking about. So I don't want to. I don't want to be that. I, I want to. I don't have anything to say. Oh, okay. Fair I just. I yeah. Pretty much. Yeah, I would agree. Okay, so the movie starts Claude Rains as the Invisible Man, who actually gets top billing. <laughs> Try that again. <laughs> who actually gets top billing, which is amazing because he is covered in a bandage most of the movie, or invisible. Now, as I as I told you, it's very unfortunate to me that Claude Rains is playing the Invisible Man in this movie because Claude Rains was hot, and I wanted to see him, but that's okay. Yeah, he's, he's um, quite a screen presence. Dude. I mean, especially for... I mean, he was not a large man. I mean, he was, he just kind of, I don't, uh, he, he, that's, so he's not an imposing figure on screen, but his presence is extremely, his presence is though. I mean, it's, he, mm-hmm. he's, he's a very authoritative on screen in every time, you know, whether it's the Wolfman or Phantom or uh, Casablanca or Notorious or, you know, a million other movies, another million other great films he was in, you know, he just has this wonderful screen presence, often with a bit of a twinkle in the eye. I think of like Captain Reno in Casablanca. He's very much got a twinkle in his eye for most of that movie. Mm-hmm. He's very funny in that movie, I think. Yes. And I think he is here too, even though we don't really see him except in the last seconds of the film. His voice is 
wonderfully expressive. That's why he's perfect for this role. His voice as an invisible man, you know, it's got to he's everything has to come out of his voice and how he how he says things. And God, he's just he can be like so booming with his voice and just very um, mustache twirly kind of sounding yeah. with the, the way he sounds. Oh, gosh. He's yeah. so good. Yeah. I love listening to him. Absolutely. And, you know, one of the things I like about the way both of these movies set up, the Greeks believe, now follow me here, the Greeks believe that essentially there were two, if you boiled plots down, there were two real plots. There was Stranger Comes to Town and Hero Takes a Journey. Okay? Okay. Yeah. So the original Invisible Man is Stranger Comes to Town. Yes. The remake is Hero Takes a Journey. Heroine takes a journey in that Heroine case. Heroine takes yeah. a journey, yeah. yeah. Uh, so I love this opening. I mean, you have the bar scene, immediately sets up Whale's sense of humor, which we hadn't really seen in Frankenstein. I mean, just in a couple of scenes they had, um, you know, with the Baron Frankenstein, there's a little bit of humor, but there's a lot of humor in this. That whole sequence before the Invisible Man shows up at the bar, you know, they're telling yeah. jokes to each other about <laughs> how they sucked a kid out of a snowdrift with the fire engine. And then yeah. they have the guy playing the piano and he's bowing to everybody and they put another coin in the piano and it starts playing without him. You know, uh, it's it's funny. It's good stuff. And, yeah. you know, the, the guy who's playing darts and he's just shaking. He's got a pipe in his mouth and he's just kind of shaking uh, while he's about to throw the dart. And then the door flings open and you have the reveal of the invisible man in his hat and that big coat and the bandage and the dark glasses. And it's similar to the reveal of the monster in Frankenstein, uh, where it's just a shot, then a closer shot. In Frankenstein, there's actually a third that's very, very close up, but it's cool. It's I, I like that. And then we have um, some of James Whale's familiar faces like Una O'Connor. Una O'Connor. <laughs> and one of the things I love, her assistant's name in this movie is Minnie, which is Una's character name in Bride of Frankenstein. Yeah. Uh, I just really love that opening sequence so much. In fact, my whole, my favorite scenes, sequences of the movie are in the inn at the beginning and in the yeah. village when he escapes. Those are my favorite parts of the movie. I love the whole thing, but those opening scenes in the in the inn are just so they're funny, but they're also is Jack Griffin is still kind of sympathetic because you see that he's trying to figure out how to become visible again. He's a little bit of a curmudgeon just because he's working, you know, leave me alone, all that yes. kind of thing. <laughs> I just came in to bring you the mustard, sir. Leave it on the table. Okay. <laughs> and Una O'Connor, just, uh, I just love her. <laughs> She's such a joy to watch. Mm -hmm. Again, with her, her voice, which can be, honestly, it's a little grating at times when she gets to be screaming a lot but mm -hmm. just uh, she's also just so funny like saying sir at the end of every sentence yeah. and <laughs> there's kind of the way she's the way she just kind of like bustles around the room and fixes everything as he sh she's you know fixing up the room for him she's she's just kind of a joy to watch like, you don't have actors like her anymore <laughs> I think there's kind of just enough of her. Uh -huh. It's the right amount. If you yeah. if you had more, it would get to be too much. But having her just <laughs> in a few scenes and 
she does not hold back. That's for sure. Yeah. She goes for it. She takes advantage of every moment she she has. You know, and I like that. <laughs> and her facial expressions. She's so expressive. Mm-hmm. I, I love an actor with a very expressive face. Yeah, yeah. Like when she's even like if it's just very subtle. Like when she just first sees, like when she's bringing the mustard back in, and she just sees like the bottom part of his bandage, which is uncovered. Yeah, she just has. She's not like, oh my gosh, yet. She just has a very slightly concerned look on her face, which is just perfect. I don't know. It's, it's a little <laughs> bit of, did I see that what? or did I not? <laughs> yeah. There's enough uncertainty left. I mean, Whale knows we know the title of the movie. Right. <laughs> so he's not hiding the those things from the audience so much. Mm-hmm. It's more the characters in the movie don't know what's going on. We yeah. we have an idea it's like because we know the title of the movie you know i mean there's gonna be an invisible man yeah i like how he ends that scene with um just that one quick shot from the side Mm -hmm. when he takes the takes the towel down you can see the bit the, the, uh, we're gonna get into it obviously but the effects in this movie are still so good yeah they still work they still work a mm-hmm. um, couple other characters were introduced to briefly they cut away from the inn for just a little bit and we meet uh, henry travers as dr cranley uh we're gonna be talking about henry travers again next month because of one of the movies that we're covering oh, where he plays a okay. certain heavenly visitor. Oh, okay. <laughs> okay. I didn't realize that. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so great character actor in lots and lots and lots of movies. Henry Travers is always wonderful. He's more serious in this movie than he is in a lot of others, but it's always nice to see him. And then, of course, Gloria Stewart as his daughter, Flora. Gloria Stewart, probably best known now as the old ver- older version of Rose from Titanic, but in her youth uh, here and beautiful, beautiful, beautiful. Yeah, she's hot too. Yeah. Um, I mean, and Flora, I mean, and Whale takes advantage of that name. She is always in a scene with flowers. I mean, there's always flowers around her room. Uh, sometimes she's That's even true. framed by them. It's just sort of a, I mean, <laughs> it's subtle. It's not too overwhelming um but that's true i didn't think about that yeah Yeah. she's she's kind of always there and then we're also introduced to uh dr kemp uh played by william harrigan and you know there's the thing there's okay so kemp obviously has his uh connections with his feelings for flora right but flora's like no <laughs> She's like, I, it's it's not it's not like in Frankenstein where the uh, rival character is. You can tell that May Clark thinks he's hot stuff. Yeah, here Flora's like, eh, no, I'm good. Uh, I'm, I, she's she's a hundred percent devoted to Jack Griffin, which I kind of like that. It's a little bit of yeah. a twist on, on that stuff, and I think Whale was was kind of like, okay, if I'm gonna do another horror movie for you guys, I'm gonna get to call the shots this time. Frankenstein made a butt ton of money, so you better just let me do what I want to do and not fuck around with my endings and things like that, like you did on me with the with the, with that movie, you know? Mm. Anyway. Okay, so now we head back to the inn, and Griffin, this is where we're getting to the big scene. This is where they're concerned about this guy that's hanging out in this room, and they call the police, the police constable. I love the police chief. Look, <laughs> so this is the first removal of the bandages where we get 
the reveal of the Invisible Man. This is where you see these special effects are really good. I mean, this is, they were innovative, extremely innovative and difficult to pull off. You know, sometimes, you know, three or four pieces of film put together at the same time, which was, uh, you know, that was kind of a new technique at the time. So they wrapped up Claude Rains in black velvet and shot him in front of a, black velvet backdrop you know it's a lot like Mm. green screen i mean it's the basically the same technique that is still done today um just done in a photochemical way rather than a digital way but these are the same techniques that are still used i mean even in the new movie they had a they had a person in a green suit in in scenes with elizabeth moss and they yeah, I mean, that's the yeah. way it still is being used. I saw The Invisible Man, uh, the original, for the first time, like, maybe 10 years ago. Like, after mm-hmm. I'd seen all these other, like, newer movies, and I was astounded when I watched this movie mm-hmm. and saw the effects. Like, especially in that first reveal where he's unwrapping the bandages. And it's it's a continuous shot, mm-hmm. you know? It doesn't cut away along. It's a very... It holds on him as he's doing that. And it looks almost perfect to me. Yeah. That one part reminds me when he's like first taking off like the nose uh-huh. and the hat. It, uh, the, you can tell it's like a fake head and like someone's real hand. So it kind of reminds me of that shot in Poltergeist. Yeah. <laughs> he's ripping off his face. I love the way that looks though. It's really yeah. weird looking. It it's, looks kind of It's, it's creepy off. looking. Yeah. I think that's one of the things that's so cool about it is how creepy that looks. Yeah. Because you have the empty eye holes and the empty nose hole and Mm -hmm. just these hands pulling off the bandages around it. It's really effective and really, really well done. And this is where, okay, this is where we start to get the Invisible Man as big old fat asshole. Which (laughs) is one of the things I really love about him. Yeah, it's one of the things I really (laughs) like about the Invisible Man. All of the, so many of the other universal monsters are sympathetic on some level. Like, uh, you know, the Wolfman and the Frankenstein monster and the creature, they're all monsters against their will. Frankenstein's monster is very childlike. He doesn't know, he doesn't get that he's hurting people, you know. Um, the creature from the Black Lagoon is, is an animal, you know, trying to be trying to survive, you know, not have its territory invaded, you know? And of course the Wolfman is probably the most sympathetic of them all, right? Dracula, the way (laughs) Lugosi plays him, he's not, he's like, he's compelled, you know? He's like, to die, to really be dead, that must be glorious, all that. He's kind of not, he's not super into being a vampire, you know? Whereas Jack Griffin, he's like, I'm invisible. He's super into being invisible. This kicks ass. Let me yeah. fuck with people. That'll be fun. He's just like totally into it. And this village scene is hilarious where he runs out into well, the even, village. Well, even the scene like before that when um, Jenny's husband is going up to kick him out because he hasn't paid and because yeah. he's like scaring everybody basically. Uh-huh. With the way that he acts, like he, at first he's like he's so like pleading and desperate, like don't kick me out, like I'm just trying to, I'm just trying to finish my experiment. I just want you to leave me alone. I'd have nowhere else to go. And then like as soon as he's like, no, dude, get out, he turns instantly. He's a, and he's that dick again, and he like <laughs> freaking throws him down the stairs. <laughs> he knocks everything over on the way out. And so you can't really 
tell if he really meant that and he just got mad or if he was pretending and because you don't really know throughout the whole movie even when they bring in that thing with the drug yeah. monocane mm-hmm. it's possibly most likely causing him to be acting this way we don't know we never saw him before he was invisible so we don't know the kind of guy that he was yeah beforehand and um and i think that's kind of an interesting way to do it to know not know if it's does the invisibility make him a dick or was he already a dick and now he's got all this power from the invisibility yeah the way like i said okay so the way the three movies deal with the invisibility is interesting and the third movie being hollow man yeah this one it's sort of like okay so the whole thing with the monocane the obligatory sort of pseudo-scientific explanation of why the invisible man is an asshole right it's sort of like the criminal brain in the frankenstein monster but the thing is james whale kind of does everything he can in both movies to ignore them (laughs) <laughs> to say, yeah. to, to say, yeah, this is the reason we gave, but it's not really the reason. I would say so. Yeah, and I think there's definitely the sense of in this movie where the power goes to his head. I mean, it's this idea that even a good man, given absolute power, can be absolutely corrupted. Right. I think that's what is happening here because you get the sense Flora and her father are good people, you know, like really, really good people. And it's not likely that they would be associated with someone who wasn't if Jack Griffin wasn't generally a good person. But so this seems to bring out sort of like the worst in him. It's just like the worst possible impulses that he never would have even entertained in, in when he was visible. Yeah, exactly. The new movie. uh, Well, I mean, we'll get into this more in detail later. The remake is like, you can hide your true self from people. Yes. That's something that you brought up to me that, that I thought was really insightful. Uh, we'll get into that more when we talk about the remake. But in Hollow Man, the power, the the invisibility just kind of amplifies a guy yeah, he's who's already kind he's of he's already beforehand. an asshole. I mean, we we ha- we see Kevin Bacon's character before invisibility, and he's he already thinks he's God. Mm, you know, he even yeah. says as much as like we're fooling with God. He says, you forget I am God or something like that. I can't, I haven't seen it in a little while. <laughs> <Does> he, say- <laughs> he says something like God. that. But when he's invisible, he feels free to act on his worst impulses. Oh yeah. You know, cause like at the beginning of the movie, he's sort of spying on the neighbor. And then when, after he's invisible, he actually attacks her. And so it's, who's going to know? And, yeah. and so he, it's not anything that has to do with the invisibility process that makes him crazy or something like the monocane does in this movie it's very much like given this power he feels free to be who he really is and that's that's a really really dark take on on these ideas very dark (laughs) yeah that's one of the that's actually why i like hollow man is because it's that idea of the soul of humanity is dark and when given Uh the opportunity we would act upon our worst impulses. <laughs> you know, and I, I think that Yeah, is, that's why I like it. I do yeah. like that movie. That's just harder to watch, that one. It is. <laughs> the stuff that he does, you know. Yeah. Like one of the first things he does when he's invisible is like assault one of his colleagues while she's asleep. Exactly. 
well, that is a dreams her dream sequence though too. Her is she she knows that he's invisible and she actually has a dream that he attacks her, but he actually that was hasn't. a dream. Elizabeth Shue's character that's her dream. Yeah, uh, he actually does attack his neighbor though. Okay, maybe that's what I was thinking. Of. Yeah, even with Jack Griffin though, I think. Even though, yes, he does seem like he's probably a good guy based on just the people that associate with him, like Flora and her father, they're still, um, they're still like a little unsure of him because he always wanted to do like his experiments mm-hmm. and secrets and, yep. and, uh, Kemp was very against that. It seemed like, like anything that has to be done in secret is probably not a good thing is basically what he's saying. And, and then there's also just kind of the, um, I would say maybe kind of the, inherent egotism of being a scientist yeah i, I think that that's pro- fair. he probably has you know like you know trying to do the impossible and wanting to i don't know be the uh, be the best per- i don't know what i'm saying well but, you it, know like that just yeah. always seems to be like some kind of egotism associated with that and trying to create something or do something that you're not supposed to do well but you just a- want to do it's, it's the whole science thing of like mm-hmm. you know you can but should you yeah it's the jurassic park thing you know, yeah. you you figured out that you can do this, but you never asked yourself if you should. And it actually goes back to Frankenstein again with his famous line, you know, that was edited out for 50 years. In the name of God, now I know what it feels like to be God <clears throat> after the monster comes to life. Uh, that's, I think that's a common theme in a lot of whales in the, his mad scientist mm-hmm. movies for sure. I mean, because that's there in Bride <laughs> as well. The idea of being a creator and being a god, you know, is interesting. And I think there's an element of that in Jack Griffin. But in the village, when, <laughs> you know, it's so funny, like he steals the bike. <laughs> and that's a great special effect, too. I mean, you can kind of see that there's something, some sort of groove in the street or something like that if you watch too closely. But <laughs> it's cool. And, you know, he picks up the bike and throws it and hitting people with the broom, steals that guy's hat and throws it in yeah. the in the puddle just... Just knocks to, over a stroller yeah and it's all just to be an asshole yeah you know he doesn't have to do any of that he could just run away and escape but no he had to kind of terrorize these people for no good reason uh now when he goes to kemp's house oh you skipped the that was you got to do the uh, your impression of that line before like before he leaves the room an invisible man can rule the world yeah, that's right yeah <laughs> the invisible man can rule the world yeah <laughs> Nobody will see him come. Nobody will see, see him, him go. go. He can hear every secret. Yeah. He can rob and rape and kill. Yeah. <laughs> I love Claude Rains. It's, it's a moment of realization, <laughs> I think, for him. Hmm? You know, when he actually finally takes all that stuff off and he is actually invisible and he says all that, he's like, hey, wait a minute. What can <laughs> I do? And so by the time he gets to Kemp's house, all that power has gone to his head. Because the way he's talking at the, from this point of the movie on, is very much this power-hungry, power-mad kind of thing. You know, he's like, I'm in control here, no yeah. matter what. <laughs> he Like, he goes over and he pulls up the chair, and you see the, the cushion of the chair cave in, and uh, he lights the cigarette, and uh, it's great. This whole stuff, yeah. all this stuff is terrific. And Kemp is just like, why do I, what? <laughs> you know, he's, he's, he's really freaked out, as as one would be. Yeah, if you were around an invisible person, sure. Yeah. And, and there's some good stuff, um, yeah, like before he even comes in, like with the, the I think the window opens or something mm-hmm. and stuff The radio turns off. The radio turns off. Yeah. There's some, Whale does some really 
cool stuff that I mean, obviously people would use later on in like ghost type movies. You see sure. that same kind of stuff. Yeah, he's a very still polished, pretty effective. He's a very polished director too. Uh, there's a lot of just looking at this is 1933 comparing that to movies from like 1931 just the camera movement the the ability to control the sound by this point is pretty much perfected so i mean everything is just sort of sort of working together and it's a very dynamic film there's lots of inserts and detail moments they're funny they're effective they're uh, scary sometimes i mean it's it's really such a beautifully crafted movie. Um, yes. I love this conversation between him and Kemp. He talks about, you know, the chemicals. When I started to use them, they would light up my brain. And there's this sense of, yeah, the it's the chemicals, but I don't think it's just the chemicals. I don't think it's just the chemicals. Yeah, no. And I don't think Whale thinks it's just the chemicals either. No. Because he would emphasize it more if he thought so. He just kind of says those things in passing. Mm. And this is where we find out how he intends to rule the world, you know. Uh, we'll begin with a reign of terror. A few murders <laughs> here and there. Murders of great men, murders of little men, just to show we make no distinction. Might even wreck a train or two. Just these fingers around a signalman's throat. Which, like, whoa. <laughs> I know. Dude. <laughs> this is, he is the most violent of all the Universal Monsters, too. Yes. He kills way more people. I mean, the body count the number of people that he kills in this movie yeah. is <laughs> massive. And it's obviously the train wreck, but also just, you know, like throwing people off cliffs. Yes. <laughs> you know, putting someone in a car and sending them off the road and blowing them up. And geez, <laughs> the guy's just, it's, it's just, uh, you know, and he, and he's laughing the whole time. Yes. The whole time. Whereas the Frankenstein monster, he throws little Maria in the lake thinking she'll float like the daisies and he's terrified of what he's done when she doesn't come back up he's like what what happened or the wolfman obviously he's not in his own mind with anyone he kills so here i mean again you have just he's just being an asshole and he's enjoying his work he's like <laughs> freddy krueger in that way he, he likes what he does and he's gonna keep doing it as long as he can so would you say that invisibility is probably the worst power to have because it doesn't seem like anybody ever has any good intentions when it comes to invisibility uh no except the there's the invisible woman from the fantastic Which is four <laughs> i'm talking about like like from the fantastic oh. fantastic four the invisible <laughs> woman movie the 40s movie is a comedy so i mean her intentions are a little different too but another thing that would be bad about this form of invisibility is you'd have to be naked. Naked all the time. All the time. Sure. <laughs> and most of this movie takes place in winter, or like all of yeah. it takes place in winter. So it's that would be tough. That would be, I mean, that that's real commitment to it all, you know? <laughs> he would, she even says in the movie. It's difficult when you have to go around naked all the time. There's a lot of nudity in this movie, by the mm-hmm. way. <laughs> Another reason why I'm sad that Claude Rains is playing the Invisible Man. <laughs> Yeah, and he's invisible for this. It's like I'm just thinking that Claude Rains is naked right now. Yeah. That's one of the things that's kind of funny about all of the 40s, <laughs> uh, the 30s and 40s Invisible Man movies is they all talk about the nudity like a lot. <laughs> I mean, it's just it's like obviously we can't show it to you, but we're going to talk about how these people are naked like all the time. 
it's, but it's kind of it's kind of <laughs> horny. It's it's really funny. <laughs> so that means I love it. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah. But like, it makes you wonder like what his plans were. If it was just for the scientific reasons, just to see if he could, mm-hmm. you know, to create invisibility. Well, if the first thing that he's thinking of doing is sounds like just taking over the world. Well, it's funny because. <sighs> Because it starts out, because he talks to, the scene with Flora, okay, where he, where Flora comes to him, they have that conversation is like, why did, uh, he talks about why he did it in the first place, you know, because he says, oh, I did it for you. I was poor. I had nothing. And you are from this wealthy family. And I, so I thought I got to discover something that is going to make me worthy of you is essentially what he's saying. Right. And so, Mm. so. Here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to come up with invisibility and sell it to the highest bidder, no matter what nation of the world it is, you know, which is really scary. Think about 1933. That's the year that Hitler came to power. Yes. Can you imagine what this movie is implying in 1933? (laughs) He's saying, okay, we just got out of a war with Germany not that long ago, 13 years before. It looks like they've got someone else coming into power that's a little nutty. They didn't know necessarily the extent in 1933, right? So can you imagine what this is implying? That You know, where he says invisible armies, <laughs> things of that nature. It's like, I think um, Whale and the screenwriters had an eye on the news and on world events while this was I going on. The idea think about of that, yeah. also Japan was invading China and things of that nature during this time. There's some real kind of intense military stuff happening around the world. So the idea that he would sell this to whichever nation gave him the most money is pretty fucked up too. Yeah. That's that's chilling stuff. It's you just bummed me out majorly. Oh, sorry. Anyway, but... <laughs> Didn't think about that. But all of it was, you know, he's talking to... Because he, he goes from being so sympathetic in that scene with her he's so soft with her when she first comes when, in well when before like when someone mentions that like you know flora is coming over it's like he forgot about her yeah like he says something or it's like oh yeah flora <laughs> i've got lost in all this yeah <laughs> what happened and now in, in in all in all the fucking with people somewhere i lost the love um mm. <laughs> and now he's like oh baby i did this all for you yeah <laughs> But then in that conversation, he's like, everyone's frightened of me. Then he thinks about what that power is. It's like, even uh, the moon is frightened. Even of the me. moon is frightened of me. <laughs> yeah. It's good. I stuff. love that line. Because he just goes from being so kind of tender and sympathetic again to hmm? that maniac. <laughs> that, And it's seriously, it's the power. It's more than it any more than the monocane even though she brings up the monocane again and says my father found something that you didn't even know and they found it in a german book which i think is yeah. an interesting touch <laughs> uh, considering what we were talking about with armies of the world right invisible armies but i also like this little bit uh before that where uh he's talking to kemp about all the rules that he has to follow yes it's it's sort of it's little again Gremlin's he's ass. kind of <laughs> And Guinea's kind of being a dick to him because yeah. he's like bossing Kemp around. Yeah. He says, I have to stay hidden uh, an hour after eating after eating because the food is is visible in my stomach. I can only go out on clear days. Gross. And these are things that are all going to kind of go into our conversation of the remake. Huh? 
But he's, yeah, he's, it's actually really smart that he's thought of all of this beforehand. Yeah. Like when you think about like a being in a city that's really smoggy, it'll the dust will settle on yeah. him, or uh, when it's raining or snowing. These are, these are elements that are in the book. So this this rules thing is sort of drawn really closely from the book because this is all stuff that H.G. Wells had thought through, and H.G. Wells had final script approval because he was not happy with the movie The Island of Lost Souls, which was a version of his of his book, uh, The Island of Dr. Moreau. So he was, which, and that movie is a banger. That movie's really good. Uh, but, um, but he was not particularly happy with it, which, okay, whatever. It's your book. You can be mad about it. Um, but this one, he actually did give it script approval. So there's a lot of stuff that's fairly true to Wells's novel. The novel gets a little bit talky this sort of makes it a little bit more show me not don't tell me so that's good when he mentions um yeah how hard it is to walk down the stairs yeah because you can't i was like i was like yeah used to watching <laughs> your feet yeah <laughs> that's a good point point. and he tells kemp you have to be available to wipe my feet off you know mm-hmm. um it's all good it's all good interesting stuff then they had this little montage of people calling in tips to the police and is, wait, is that the scene where he? Because I like the um, the effects. I think it's that one when he like takes off his he's in his pajamas uh-huh. and he goes and lays in bed. Yeah. The f- effects look so good in that part. They really do because I mean the, the pillow like moves and everything. It's, yeah, it's great. I was because I was I was watching for it. I was like, is the pillow gonna sink down? Like when he and it does <laughs> when you watch it. You know, whenever he has some clothes on. It's some of the coolest effects in the movie because it's his pajamas without any socks or gloves on. Yeah. The head, the hands, and the feet are all missing. Or the white shirt that's running around the room. (laughs) Yeah. It's great. It's really good. And um, one of the people that calls in, and this is, I'm bringing this up because this relates to the remake. You wait till it's frosty and then you can see his breath. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) So then he um, gets tracked down to Kemp's house and the cops have sort of form a circle around the property or a Kemp calls the police on him. Yeah. Kemp calls the police on him. And so they're forming a line where they're the cops are linked hands and everything. And they're surrounding the house trying to, to don't let him pass. He can't, he's unarmed. It's like, well, yeah, he's unarmed because he's naked. But then we have this element where, you know, he promises, he's like, hey, thank you for opening the window, Kemp, you know, because he's gotten his clothes off. Says, but and he promises to kill him at 10 o'clock the next evening, which is kind of like, is he going to do it? Is he going to not? And I, because in a lot of movies at this time, I think a character like Kemp, who's a, ostensibly at least a good guy, right, mm-hmm. would survive Yeah, in, in a movie like this. He would beat the bad guy. Yeah. He would be the hero. He would be the one who would ultimately foil the plan, it seems to me. And that's really not the way this movie plays out. It really plays out in an atypical way. It does. For like the typical sort of Hollywood construction of a plot. Mm -hmm. But anyway, I love this part (laughs) where... He's like, he's got me by the ankles, you know, he's got me by the feet. He's, <laughs> oh, and he's swinging him around and he steals his pants. Then he's just a pair of pants skipping down the street. And here we go gathering nuts in <laughs> May. Nuts in May. Nuts and the May. woman is screaming <laughs> as she's leaving. Ah. It's very funny. I think it's kind of interesting, too, how uh, most people are, are very accepting of the invisibility in this village. 
like, oh, we like, have an invisible man, yeah. There's an invisible man on the loose, and everyone's like, oh, shit. Yeah, okay. <laughs> How are we going to catch him? <laughs> There's, like, bulletins going out over the the radio of an invisible man well one of the things that's and funny there's a i like the i ahead. like the, the montage of like everyone it seems like everyone's kind of like suiting up almost to, to go to go fight him like when they hear him on the radio they yes. hear about him on the radio <laughs> which is why I, I do like that um the opening scene and why i think it's important too is just that um, the village itself is like another character like them mm-hmm. all coming together to uh to find him and stop him. Yeah. Because he may he kill somebody. Yeah. <laughs> he kills the police officer. And then when there's that whole sort of search party out uh, after him, he just starts grabbing him and throwing him off the cliff. Yes. Then this is a whole thing where he derails the train, where he just smashes the, the switch operator's head with a vase or something like that which why mm-hmm. he has a vase in there i'm not sure but um, maybe it's like a water basin kind of thing like to wash his hands because it's pretty I don't yeah know. and then he switches the train and kills you know hundreds of people a hundred <laughs> or a hundred later right? on there's there a hundred people on the yeah train. they say a hundred people yeah and then he then he goes out then he goes in and he robs the bank just steals the drawer yes <laughs> and he's yeah money 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 gift from the invisible man this is like he's sort of he's styling himself as robin hood but he's not he's he's an he's a not a good guy i like how that train derail is just sort of like casually thrown in there in the middle of this montage and you're like wait a minute wait a minute wait a minute (laughs) and you can hear the people like screaming Screaming. as as the train is going off the cliff I mean, but it's just like it's just like a it's part of the montage yeah. of his reign of terror. It's like he just killed a hundred people. And I know it's clearly a model train, but well, yes, <laughs> but still, but still, it's pretty awesome. Okay, <laughs> it it looks good for its time, you know. So does the uh, and uh, you got to consider later on. the Universal monster movies were all extremely low budget films. Mm. I think Frankenstein was two hundred fifty thousand dollars to make. Wow. I that's it's incredible how how little they made these money these movies for. I mean obviously with adjusted inflation and of course this is depression era dollars it would be more obviously. Mm-hmm. But they're still low budget films and they're really innovative um for the money that they had and they were very profitable for the money they were made for. So And this is what they accomplished yeah. with it. Mm-hmm. Which is still impressive all these years later. Yeah, well, I mean, you think <laughs> the that... crash, the crash later on when the the car goes off the cliff, I was like, oh, damn, yeah, yeah, all right, <laughs> yeah. And you know, I went and saw this on the big screen last week with my son, and he was completely impressed by this movie. Yeah, he he because mm-hmm. it was a double feature of the Invisible Man and the Wolf Man. This was the one he really liked. Was the Invisible Man? He thought the Wolf Man was fine. But he just loved, for him, it was Frankenstein and the Invisible Man were his favorites because we saw those at the beginning of the month uh, with Dracula. He's a James Whale fan, I guess. But (laughs) these two movies are just, the way they're shot, the way they look, they're very stylish. I think they're just really, they really hold up. They just have a terrific look to them and a terrific feel to them. Very cool that they still play. In fact, we were talking about them yesterday, and he said, "Yeah, they didn't even. I didn't even think about them being like black and white movies or old movies or anything." I mean, he's eleven. 
You know, they notice yeah. that sort of stuff. You know, if a movie is black and white, they just don't see many black and white movies because there just yeah. aren't very many around <laughs> anymore, right? But he's like, ah, I didn't even think about it. So That's good. Yeah, which is cool. And so it's I thought It's very cool that it's still effective even mm-hmm. for a younger audience. Yeah. Uh, I wasn't sure how these were going to play for him, and he liked them all. Good kid. Yeah. Good kid. Yeah. You taught him well. I think so. I try. <laughs> um, so there's a little scene in here, speaking of all these Universal Monster movies, uh, where Dwight Fry, who played Renfield, and he played um, Fritz in the original Frankenstein, and Carl in Bride of Frankenstein, he has a small role in this as a reporter. He does? Yeah. It's, I miss Dwight Fry. It's some what? Yeah, the Dwight Fry. And honestly, it's because he's not playing a maniac or something. You'd, you'd almost don't notice him. Um, I didn't even realize it was him until my last couple viewings of it. it. It's just like, wait a minute, holy crap, that's Dwight Fry. It's a very short scene. He's just interviewing the police officer, the police chief. I am shooketh. Yeah. Ah. I, I gotta go watch this again. I have to go see him. I love it. I love Dwight Frey. <laughs> yeah, and so it's this is right before the scene where they've discovered. Okay, we're gonna do. We're gonna transport Kemp back to the police station. We've got these paint guns, these little spray guns. That poor kitty. I love that part though. <laughs> I think that is so funny because that white cat jumps up on top of the. Um, <laughs> Jumps up on top of the, the thing kitty. and they spray it black, um, which I think it's it's part of it is funny, but also yeah. is the fact it's supposed to be like, oh, this is a bad omen, you know, because you, you, oh, you have a black cat. Um, that's true. Which obviously isn't actually true. Black cats are awesome. Yes, they are. I have two and they're the best cats we've ever had. <laughs> um, but it's just an example of, you know, Wales sense of humor, his sort of British sensibilities of humor. I like all of that, you know, that mm-hmm. he brings to this. It's great. It's great. So obviously this is the whole thing where we have uh, Kemp transported back to the police station, you know, and then put into disguise and sent back home. And, but Griffin knew what was going on the whole time. He followed him the whole time, yeah. followed him the whole time. And, Oh, they think they're so clever. You know, it's great. And, that part where he sends Kemp off the cliff, he, you know. I remember being very shocked at that. I was not expecting yeah. that when I first saw this. Because again, you, you can't, kind you of can't ex- do that to the main character. I or know. Kind of, there is not really a main no. main character in this movie, but kind of like the, one of the main good guys that you're following right. is Kemp. You kind of expect him to be the one that foils the plan in the yeah. end, but no, Will, uh, Wales like no, we're not going to play it that way. Which I love. Yeah, we're and he I, sends I love him off the that. cliff. Then Griffin <laughs> sleeps in the barn <laughs> that one night the hay <laughs> and it starts snowing oh and then that is that's where his tell comes in right because his footprints show yep. up and I, the, oh, one, the one mistake in the effects the one mistake in the effects exactly is the footprints are shoes when he's supposed to be barefoot <laughs> they're shoe prints but it still works it looks really good mm-hmm. i mean how they made that happen is pretty I mean, they just apparently had a platform and they just dropped these shoe prints onto the like wooden shoe prints disguised with snow onto the onto the uh, onto the ground, onto this fake snow. And it oh, makes cool. these shoe prints. This is, I don't I, I don't totally understand how they did it. It was described in one of the special features. And like, I still I don't entirely understand how they did it, <laughs> um, but it's it works. 
It's really yeah. good looking, and uh, except for the fact that it's shoe prints and not okay. bare feet. He's not wearing shoes, yes. Yeah, but then he just gets shot by by the cops, and he falls over, and that's it. <laughs> so it's it's not it's and it's like some rando person. It's not one of the heroes. It's not you know. Oh. Anyone but really... again, it's, it's the whole village coming together because yeah. when they find out that he's sleeping in the barn, mm-hmm. you know, they want to get rid of the guy. And they, they The whole village surrounds the barn so he doesn't get away. Yeah. Like I said, I think that's a good, nice, nice element that it, maybe it's it's not one person. It's because this guy is such a freaking menace uh-huh. to everybody, not yeah. just to the people. Usually in a movie like this, kind of like in, in the remake, you know, he's just a menace to his the people that are immediately around him. Mm-hmm. Jack Griffin doesn't care. <laughs> right about anybody yeah. he's a menace to the entire world basically yeah. so it's it maybe it's kind of good that it's not just about one person bringing him down but everybody yeah collectively saying this guy sucks we got to get rid of him yeah i mean it's a little what bit he's of doing the, is wrong it's a little bit of the whole villager thing you know i mean obviously they don't have it's the pitch- angry villagers in a good way yeah they they don't have pitchforks and torches in this one yeah but it's similar <laughs> but they're right in this one <laughs> yeah that's exactly right yeah this one's also set in modern times whereas frankenstein has sort of a when does this take place element yeah, to it um, that we've talked about before but this one is i think supposed to be set in the 30s or at least the 20s it has automobiles it's got trains it's got all the things that they would have it's got the phones and the the radios and everything mm-hmm. uh so that's one of the things that i like about it and you know both these movies are if we're being on yeah they're horror films because they have elements of that but they're kind of more science fiction yeah because there is a scientific element behind the invisibility in both cases, right? It's not magic. It's not some sort of supernatural aspect. It's very much, even though in this one, it's pretty pseudoscience-y. Yeah. <laughs> it's, it's still interesting. And, you know, and to be honest, that's kind of the way H.G. Wells worked. He didn't, he didn't care. He was sort of like, uh, let's make up some, something that yeah. made him invisible. You know, some, potion. I like how, yeah, I like how in neither one of them, it doesn't really matter how it no. happened. It's more about, the effects that it has on the people on the person mm-hmm. even though there has been some this is one thing i forgot to bring up we were talking about other iterations of the invisible man one that i like is actually a buffy the vampire slayer episode sure um from the first season called uh, out of mind out of sight which is actually a perfect title because it's usually out of sight out of mind right. you know what happens in that episode is that just because of the the power of they're on the hell mouth you know where mystical things happen all the time this girl who feels very invisible at school and very like nobody sees her nobody notices her she just slowly becomes invisible that's interesting is how it happens yeah. and so like in all these other iterations of invisible people she it gets drunk on the power of it finally having the power to like mm-hmm. stand up against the people you know that abused her in, in a way you sure. know at school bullied her yeah it's a little bit of a carry element to there yeah too, yeah yeah but she still like takes it too far and mm-hmm. gets a little bit too too drunk on the power uh-huh. and showing that it's it's not a good thing in the end even though it feels it probably feels really cool and yeah, yeah you can get back at some people who deserve it maybe but yeah. do they really deserve like right to be that extreme mm-hmm. yeah that is interesting mm-hmm. so i mean that's kind of it for the invisible man i mean all that really happens in oh. the end he's, he, <laughs> yeah he yeah, just he sort of he becomes invisible <laughs> he becomes he he talks to flora and says 
oh, I let this all go to my head and blah, 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 blah. <laughs> sort of a yeah. deathbed repentance moment. It's like, right. okay, whatever. And, you know, it's fine. Um, and then he becomes visible for 10 seconds and the end. Uh, yeah. <laughs> I mean, that's it. The, that's the thing about old movies is they end when they're done. They, they you know, just end. <laughs> there's no there's no more to deal with. It's just like, all right, we're done. This movie is an hour and 11 minutes long. Yeah. <laughs> so that's it. And that's... Still great. I love it. That's one of the things I love about these old Universal movies is... I mean, we watched them on a, uh, these two double features, you know, and it was like we watched one, the length of one movie, you know, pretty much <laughs> one. The remake is two hours long. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. We, we watched. It's like we watched. Uh, it was less than the time that we would have taken to go see Dune. <laughs> so <laughs> sure. There you go. And what's amazing about those 70 minute movies of the Universal era is how much they pack into those little tiny frames i mean those there's a lot that goes on in this movie a lot of ideas mm-hmm. explored a lot of plot points that happen a lot of humor uh, there's this part where it's just this weird moment that i find really funny that i hadn't really thought about till i saw it on the big screen is this guy sort of has his room that he's in with all these guys swept to make sure the invisible man isn't in there. And they're all holding up this net and they walk across the yes. room. And then he pulls up a chair and says, all right, everybody sit it down. Sit down. I know. It's like the, all these, all these grown <laughs> men are sitting there. They has him sit on the floor and they're looking up at him like they're kindergartners. I think that is I one know. of the funniest things in the whole movie. And I don't, I do too. It's just so, it's so weird. <laughs> I just love that. Anyway. That's about all I've got to say about The Invisible Man, except to say, man, it's a good movie. It's still it such a good movie. It's still so much fun to watch. And mm-hmm. yeah, there's a lot to get into. Just like with, uh, God, we, how long did we go on on Bride of Frankenstein? And it's only the same thing. And it's an hour and 10 minutes long. Yeah. <laughs> but there's there's a lot going on. And there's a lot of ideas that are perhaps maybe better explored or just differently explored in in the remake. Yeah, they're differently explored, I think. Um I, I think they're more they're explored in more depth in the remake. Mm-hmm. Whereas here I think, you know, obviously they're just mostly just trying to make a scary movie. Yeah. You know, there's there's not a lot of social comment he's trying to make. Though I think they're you know what he's saying I, well, I don't know. I think what he's is. saying <laughs> about um you know power and corruption of power. I think you know the I hadn't really thought about it while watching the movie, but I mean just thinking about what was going on in the world at that time, he may have been making comments about despots coming to power like Hitler. That's very possible. I think that is highly possible. Um, I didn't think about that while I was watching it either. Yeah, Yeah. because, I mean, Mussolini was obviously in power at that time already. Uh, So I think that there was a sense of, you know, there's stuff around the world that's scary going on. And the idea of an invisible army thing, you know, is something that hadn't really occurred to me in the context of 1933. But I think it's there. It'd be interesting. He's literally talking about ruling the world yep (laughs) which you know this was obviously 1933 was before hitler had started that world domination campaign you know um but i think it's interesting to think about what was going through whale's mind as he was making this movie and he's as i understand this was one of his favorites of the movies he made okay so because it's my favorite which is cool good movie still a good movie I mean, almost 90 years on, this movie is oh my God. just 
dynamite still. All right, so we're going to go ahead almost 90 years now to the most recent Invisible Man movie, which is 2020's version directed by Lee Whannell. Lee Whannell. Yeah, who uh, I didn't get a chance to rewatch <laughs> Upgrade, but... Oh, I was going to say, yeah. Yeah, I was going to rewatch Upgrade, but I didn't get a chance to. But I really think he's he's just he's so good he's really a terrific director Um, yes and uh, insidious three he's only done three movies so far i mean he did insidious three he did upgrade and this yeah before i even start talking about the movie i gotta gush about lee winnell for a second here (laughs) oh go Okay, I've been a huge fan of both of them since uh, James Wan and Lee Winnell since the first Sonic film came out in 2004 because I was super excited to go see that movie. Loved it when I saw it. Been following both of their careers ever since. And they're just the kind of directors that they feel, both of them actually, feel very much like they're on my level in a way, especially Lee Winnell because I just kind of love him as a person too. Like whenever Mm -hmm. you hear him and in interviews or on podcasts or something, he's so funny and so sweet. And he, like I said, he's like kind of on my level because like the movies he references all the time, he references like Raiders and Jaws and stuff when he's, when he's talking about movies. Like I watched him on the behind the scenes thing for Invisible Man and the scene where uh, Adrian runs up to the car. He's like, this is going to be like the scene in Whiplash. Yeah. <laughs> like the car wreck scene in Whiplash. And yeah, he describes making a movie as the the scene in Raiders when, you know, the, the boulder, he's running in front of the boulder that's chasing him. Mm-hmm. And, and he's super talented. And I was really, really excited when he finally... Not finally, because I don't know, like if he ever even wanted to, you know, for the longest time wanted to be a director. But I was very excited when he uh, was going to be directing Insidious Three, and I thought he did an amazing job with that. I love Insidious Three. It's not, I don't think it's everybody's favorite, but I think he did such a good job. There's, you can see he he learned a lot probably from from mm-hmm. James Wan and from watching, uh, obviously just being a fan of movies, mm-hmm. and also something that he does really well i think in in that movie and in this one that he actually talks about a lot with why uh, the invisible man is so effective is that he knows what audiences are used to mm-hmm. he knows what kind of shots that they're like oh i know what's going to happen here and that he uses it against the audience a lot yeah. he's very very smart in in that way so he's like right out of the gate i think he was a super talented director and i i can't wait to see what else he does upgrade yeah. um he brings a, there's some stuff that he brings from upgrade into the invisible man mm-hmm. too which i really like especially that hallway fight yep, sequence the hallway fight sequence is big time uh <laughs> yeah so good yeah um, uh, upgrade is a lot of fun. Even my family lo- loved that. Um, yeah. That first, that first fight sequence, like where he um, like discovers his powers, pretty mm-hmm. much. <laughs> you know, I was like, I was watching that with my family, and I was like, you guys are gonna like this, and they were like, ah this movie is dope yeah i was uh really impressed with upgrade <laughs> I, I yeah i hadn't heard of it and then i it was mentioned on pure cinema i think in like one of their best of the year lists because they both had it on their list which yeah. I thought, which doesn't happen very much that means it's good <laughs> yeah and so i and they both had it i think in the same spot which like really never happens and so I was like, okay, I think I got to watch this one. And I did. It was like, oh my gosh, this is incredible. It's so good. It is so much fun. It's a great action film. I mean, that's yeah, yeah. proof. It's it's interesting because um, Insidious 3 is very mood movie, right? Very atmosphere movie. 
upgrade is a lot of action is sort of the thrust of that movie. And Invisible Man is sort of both. Yeah, and it's, it's like a combination of a lot two. of those elements that from both films and and putting it together in a really effective way. And I think, and I think from a writing standpoint, because he's written a lot of movies, yes. it's really an interesting take on the material. It's a new take on the material. I think it's a very mature take it's, on the material. It is. It is because obviously every version of the Invisible Man before this has followed the invisible man you know it's been Mm -hmm. about the invisible man whereas this one is about for lack of a better term honestly because i think she becomes something more than this as the movie goes on a victim of the his victim yeah Yeah, his victim i think by the end of the movie she's not a victim anymore but she's it's something else uh that is much more powerful yeah i just want to say too that i've just been a big fan of everything that Lee Winnell has done, especially in his writing. Mm-hmm. I love Dead Silence. I don't care what either one of them says about <laughs> Dead Silence. Like they kind of they did. Did they not like this? I think Dead no. Silence is terrific. I know yeah. both of them are kind of like, eh, that's not really that great. I'm glad there are fans of it, and everyone's like, what are you talking about? Yeah. Dead Silence is awesome. Yeah. So it's it's having its its renaissance, I think. Thank goodness. And obviously he wrote the first three Saw movies. He wrote Insidious 1 and 2. He wrote Cooties. Cooties, which is a lot of fun. Cooties is fun. It, I, I, I don't, I don't l- think I'm quite as hot on it as a lot of people are, but I enjoyed <laughs> it overall. And he also did this movie called uh, The Mule. If you haven't seen that, it's great. I haven't seen that one. So, yeah. Uh, again, just kind of like following his career since 2004, which actually isn't that long. No. Really. Really not. He's still he's still relatively new. I mean, just watching him um, evolve and like, especially with this movie, it's like, yes, he's definitely one to, to keep watching for. Because if he's making this, he can only get better, you know? Because this, yeah. I think this is an amazing movie all around. Like, I don't see any problems with it at all. Like, and it still brings in a lot of him to it. I, like, there's some humor in here yep. too, which I love. Which um, uh, one of my favorite scenes, one of the best, the the best scene in the movie, also has like some of the cute little humor elements to it. Mm-hmm. And again, just like a very mature idea, uh-huh. and very very um, talented with the craft. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, and also I think there is a love of some of the, there's sort of subtle hints toward the Universal Monsters, and particularly mm-hmm. the Invisible Man. I mean, there's, that you have a big building on a cliff. I mean, that's very Universal Monsters, <laughs> you know. Uh, Adri- yeah. Adrian's house is sort of this house overlooking the sea in the middle of nowhere. It's, there's sort of a Frankenstein's laboratory sensibility to that um there's a scene in the daughter's room in sydney's room like where she, there's a hat and a coat on a rack that almost makes it yes. look like an invisible man standing there that's true there's like a couple of nods i think it's his name their last name is griffin griffin yes his last name is griffin uh-huh. there's that one shot too in the hospital mm-hmm. um where there's she's just sitting in the hallway and like a patient rolls by is all bandaged up uh-huh. which i thought was i thought that was kind of a nod to the original maybe yeah i think there's also a couple of things that are mentioned in the in the original that are happen in the in the remake like he talks about the rain on the head and shoulders and here you actually see it see that happen uh-huh. and then also the breath you know yes. is mentioned in the original but you actually see that here and you actually before she escapes the hospital too uh, she's listening to the news saying that there's going to be a lot of heavy rainfall yeah i think that's where she gets the idea she's got to cook some outside yeah so that idea comes out yeah so but like 
right from the beginning. I love the opening credits. Yeah. The opening <laughs> credits are the, the, so cool. The water sort of splashing on the up. Rock. And yeah. Yeah. It's good. And just revealing the, the words and then they disappear as the rain falls down, which must have been like incredibly difficult to do because I bet that's all CGI water. Oh, I'm sure. Which is probably the hardest thing to do in CGI. But like just I remember sitting. Yeah, this was one of the, the last movies that I saw before the pandemic shut everything down too Mm -hmm. but uh yeah i just remember sitting there and just being just from those credits i was like i'm gonna love this movie this is gonna be a good movie i could tell right away and the whole opening scene is another just like the original does like as doesn't really introduce the invisible man just as he just comes in as a stranger blowing into town. this doesn't really introduce anything either you're like put right in the middle of a situation but you get what's happening yeah. in this opening sequence really well. Definitely. And I think that's a, a really good way to, to handle it. Yeah, I, I would agree. I would agree. You know, this opening sequence, the escape from him. I mean, obviously, she spent a lot of time thinking this through. Mm-hmm. And right off the bat, I mean, this just evoked things for me. So that I will get into a little bit more later, I'm sure. It's... But at the same time, there's certain whether you if you've never had to escape from a situation like this. But I mean, all of us have had situations where it's late at night. You don't want to disturb anyone else in the house. You get up and you accidentally kick yes. the dog bowl. Right. I mean, we, or you make some big noise, you know, on accident. So there are all of those things that are really effectively used, even though it's kind of this situation that not necessarily everyone will be able to feel. You can really feel for the situation anyway. Uh, I think that's really effective too. Yeah. Even before he's invisible, like he's already, uh, Lee Winnell is already using these techniques that are going to become really, really important later on, I think, with um, sound design Mm -hmm. and then uh, just playing with negative space in the movie. Oh, fuck. It just like makes me so horny when I think about him. (laughs) (laughs) It's so good. I love the way he does this. Like like I said, even before he's invisible, like um, there's a shot where it's just like of an empty hallway because you're like expecting or even anytime he uses like um, holds on a wide shot. That's mm-hmm. when you're always expecting like something to happen in some like it's like he knows that that's what the audience n- knows to look for something like you know uh-huh. in the frame and then he doesn't have anything happen. Yeah, he's obviously seen a lot of movies like and like he knows the conventions. He knows that audiences know this kind of stuff, yeah. and he's just playing with it the whole movie and it's uh, I love it. And yeah, that that dog ball like it's been so quiet the whole time, mm-hmm. and that dog ball is like is like a, someone has like dropped a boulder on the on the ground you know it's so loud especially when it was in the theater i remember that that scared me and that like just holds like i said because you can infer what's happening even though they don't explain what's um what's really going on but well it's because of this escape this whole opening sequence is staged like a prison escape no, uh-huh. she has to climb over a wall and, you know, there's She's a, had things there's hidden a in dog the wall. that comes out after. But of course, it's a friendly dog in this case. Yeah, it's he's, Zeus, he's you know, boy. who's, who's he's just a, a, who's a good boy. And, but of course, she hits her butt against the car and sets the alarm off, uh, which is another example of that sound design thing, mm-hmm. um, which is probably what wakes Adrian up. And my gosh, when she gets out to the friend's car and he just runs up against and he punches through the window. There's a sense of there's something is this guy on like PCP? I mean, it's, it's it, it, <laughs> this, the level of, 
power that it would take to be able to do right. that is frightening. Even well, even before that, when she's just waiting mm-hmm. on the road, yeah, and her sister's not there yet, yeah, cuts back to the she hears the creaking behind her, the trees, yeah. and again, it's another wide shot where you can only see like what her flashlight sees. Yep. You're waiting for him to come popping out there now. Yeah. Uh. Okay, I, I like this whole safe house thing, um, James and Sydney, the friends she stays with, um, because, mm-hmm. okay, there's a certain, and I've had permission to share some of this stuff. Uh, so this movie evokes a lot for me because when we were first dating, my wife told me about a situation where she had been in a bad relationship, an abusive relationship, and uh, she was able to escape from that. And there really was an element of escape involved because she was staying at friends' houses. She was mm-hmm. having them take calls uh, and saying, oh, we don't know where she is um, to this yeah. person and all these kind of really frightening things. Um, and so this all this whole movie feels very real <laughs> to me. Yeah. It's something that... Um, just knowing that my wife has gone through some, I mean, uh, there was a power dynamic thing. For example, he was older, like significantly older. Uh, he was a officer in the Navy and, uh, um, it was, it was just like, yeah, not, not great stuff. Um, so there's a little bit of that happening too, but I mean, it's not, uh, the same, Obviously, this is that sort of taken to the nth degree, but she didn't have to make a daring midnight escape from his house necessarily, but she was like, she would go to work and then disappear, you know, (laughs) is is how it worked, I think. Um, So the safe house thing, I think, is one of those things. Nobody knows where I'm at. No one can know where I'm at um, kind of situation. And the scene is really effective i mean you're talking about sound design the whole part where she's going out to get the mail this agoraphobia yeah this fear of even going outside and you get the sense like there's blood rushing past her ears you know when just everything is blocking out that's what it Mm -hmm. sounds like to me and then she hears the running of the foot the person running by and she just hears these sort of distant sounding footsteps yeah um and it freaks her out louder as it comes close to her yeah Yeah. And just that sense of somebody is watching me and I don't know where they are. And she's convinced, I think, even at this point that Adrian knows where she is and uh, is watching her. And she turns out to be right. (laughs) You know, but. uh, Well, and the whole this whole thing, I think, is another reason why it's this is such a good setup for this movie. Like I said, you don't have to explain what's happening at the beginning of the movie that she is escaping Mm -hmm. an abusive guy. You know, you just you get that from, you know, the fact that she drugged him Uh and that she hid all of her, you know, all of her important papers are in that bag that she hid away. Like you get what's happening and you also kind of get you can maybe even infer a little bit about the kind maybe the kind of abuse that was happening obviously it seems like he was rich Rich. and powerful there was a power power dynamic obviously there probably with um you know he was probably in in control of the finances she's probably Mm -hmm. financially reliant on him which is another way that these manipulators and abusers you know control people and then just the way uh yeah i think that scene is so heartbreaking you know you don't have to see anything. You don't have to see the abuse Mm-mm. to know 
what it was like. Yeah. You just have to know that she's afraid to go get the mail. Yep. You know? Yep. And that's, I think that's a really smart way to do it. Yeah. And a very uh, responsible way to do it as well. Not showing anything, not even really saying anything. She has that scene later on where she's um, talking to James and Emily Mm -hmm. and she kind of talks about what it was like living with Adrian without really implicitly saying anything. And you don't have to. No. You know, nobody ever has to. You just... You can just you can, and the way she plays Elizabeth Moss, oh my God, Ugh, she's just perfect. Mm-hmm. Can do no wrong. The way that she plays throughout this whole movie, uh, you can see it on her face. You can see the pain mm-hmm. on her face and everything that she's going through. Yeah, without having to say really what she went through. Yeah, oh yeah, yeah. There's a lot of sort of siblings acting as proxies in this movie because Emily and Adrian's brother, oh God, what's his name? Tom. Tom. Yeah. They're the ones who are talking to each other, right? (laughs) You know, because we find out that Adrian is supposedly dead, you know, committed suicide. Well, James, first of all, love Alice Hodge. Oh, yes. Yeah. He's, (laughs) yes. He's a great character. He really is. I, uh. I love them. James and Sydney um, is played by a girl named Storm Reed, who's mm-hmm. all. She's a beautiful little actress. Yes. She's gonna, she's gonna have a great career. I think. Yeah, she's I think so. So too. good. She is so good in this, yeah. and they're they're a little dynamic. Um, it's also kind of a nice contrast too between. Um, this movie obviously is supposed to be in San Francisco. It was actually shot in Australia. Sorry yep. to ruin the <laughs> ruin the illusion. Um, but just the contrast between Adrian's house, that huge like architectural like you know crazy thing in the middle of nowhere on, by this cliff, yep. and then it goes to just what one of my favorite things to see is an actual like real house yep. in a movie. It's a real one story yeah, ranch house that actual house, people, yeah. that mm-hmm. actual people live in and yeah. not like, Oh, we just, we're just normal people in the suburbs. And it's like a huge, like, I know two, my gosh. two story, five bedroom house, you know, you know e- with e- two garages, ET and, uh, home alone houses are insane. Yeah. My gosh. Yeah. yeah. And the, she's more happy here, obviously, because they're like, they're real people. They're really sweet. I love the scene when she finally does go get the mail. Yeah. And they're so excited for her because that is that's actually a huge thing. Someone who's like gone through a trauma and dealing with like that kind of fear. Yeah. Mm-hmm. That is a huge thing for her to do. Oh, and yeah. the fact that they they're they genuinely he kind of makes fun of her a little bit like, oh, you know, maybe you'll go across the street in a year. But like they're genuinely like excited for her they, she gets a little fist bump yep. from sydney and um just i love the dynamic the way that they they're just friends and like they really really care about her the fact that they even took her in in the first place yes you know gotta love them and they just they have such a great like even though they don't have many scenes where they're like happy together they have like that one scene with the ladder um, and the money the ladder which is well, the cutest and one of the scene things, <laughs> one of the things about the end of that scene is the final shot of that scene is yes. sort of the shot from around the corner down the yeah. hall and it's like, like somebody's, somebody's watching, watching. Yeah. and it just kind of makes that whole sequence that was just sort of like this wonderful moment of joy be a little bit sinister by the end yeah. of it yeah but yeah i just love that that family and yeah you were talking about um, the sibling thing going on um her sister emily is played by harriet dyer who is mm-hmm. awesome yes she has an attitude in this movie that i love yeah but you know, what's actually surprised me is that i don't think it's in this 
I don't think you can tell from this version, but there was something that I watched. She's actually the younger sister. Okay. Yeah. It, I got that impression, honestly. Yeah. That she's younger. I wasn't sure. I, I, I don't know why. I just did. So. <laughs> it kind of seems like Cecilia would be the, the younger one. But no, she's... Emily is the younger sister, which is... That kind of makes you think... That would make her, Cecilia, feel a little... Not as, you know, yep. not as good about herself either that this, the younger sister is stronger than she is, which right. she um, brings up in a later scene, yep. which, which we'll talk about. But yeah, she it's two weeks later after she's escaped um, and Emily comes over to tell her that Adrian's dead and has killed himself. Yeah. That's when she sits down um, with Emily and James and... I, I really like that scene. Mm-hmm. The way that she tells her story, I think, is really powerful. Again, it's a lot of Elizabeth Moss's acting mm-hmm. that just totally conveys the story, and it, it gives you just enough to really, really hate Adrian. Yeah, <laughs> you know, when he asked, he uh, James asks if um, if he ever hit her, and she, all she has to say is uh, amongst other things. Which yeah. is such a dark line. Yeah, it is. To me. It it's is. so dark. It's so chilling mm-hmm. to hear that. And um, the fact that she had to leave him finally because he wanted to have a baby. Yeah. That kind of implies to me, too, that there was uh, sexual abuse going on, too. Oh, yeah. And like I said, they don't have to say that. You just you just inf- infer you just it. Know. And you just know. <laughs> I think that's a good way to deal with it. But it's... Like in Cape Fear, you know, <laughs> what you don't say can uh, can chill you even more. Yeah, it's yeah, it's true, and it, I think that I I like the way this is handled. This is uh, Emily and James are also like this is her story to tell if she chooses, not our story to hear. Mm-hmm. You know, there's a, obviously if someone who's been through that is sharing this, it's going to be a level of trust uh, is implied here. And th- having experienced being on the receiving end of that kind of a of a story being told, mm-hmm. that's when I knew that I was v- deeply trusted. And it was hard for me to hear. I have never come closer to wanting to kill somebody <laughs> than I did after hearing that story. So... You know, and obviously and that's something that will never entirely go away. I mean, it's, it's, I mean, it's something that will, I mean, even if the person is out and gone and dead, I don't, we, I, we have no idea with this person, but it still has effects, you know, yes. so, and likely always will. And, you know, it's been more than 20 years. Doesn't matter. Yep, Exactly. So I think that that scene is so effective in sort of also conveying this level of intimacy she has with these other characters mm-hmm. that she's willing to even divulge as sort of vaguely as she does yeah. is really effective. Now, this is the first time probably that she's said it out loud to anybody. Yeah. It seems like it, it seems to be the case. Yeah. Cause when her sister comes to pick her up in the beginning, like she has no idea what's even going on. Mm-hmm. Right. So, and this is when she, um, that I love that scene when she comes in and she's, she's got the mail. Yep. It's like, it's good to have goals. It's good. To have goals. And it's like, look, I got the mail. Yeah. <laughs> like I said, that's, that's a huge thing it's for a, her. To, it is for her to do. Mm-hmm. And that's a, that's a good, Good moment to add in there. And then um, Cecilia and Emily go to see Adrian's brother, Tom. <laughs> yeah. 
And that's where we find out about the money um, that she's going to get. And there's a sense of, you know, even from beyond the grave, he's manipulating her, uh, yes. quote unquote, beyond the grave. Because <laughs> what's your sense? What is your sense of Tom in that first scene with him, though? I don't trust him at that point. Yeah, there is a there is a time later where I do get a sense of trust where he actually says, you know, how much he hated Adrian, too. You kind of soften to him. Uh, even when certain things are revealed later, I'm kind of like, was he, was Tom just being manipulated just out of total fear of his brother still yes. at that point, you know? I think so. I think he's telling the truth when he says he hated him. I think so too. I, <laughs> sure. I think, and, and, sure. and I think that, um, that level of, uh, cause I mean, that's how these manipulators work. I mean, they don't manipulate mm-hmm. just one person. It's everyone they possibly it's everyone. can. Everyone. Yeah, I don't know what to make of Tom when I in that scene. Honestly, there is a line that he has here that kind of uh, if you know what happens, it's really going on the whole time in the movie, mm-hmm. and you watch it again. He does have a line when he says, "You know, you are physically close to him right now," and he's talking about he says he's talking about the urn that has his ashes in it. Yeah. that makes me wonder. Like, but was he actually there? I wonder in that scene. <laughs> yeah, yeah. That's that's true. Because you kind of get the sense later on that, yes, Tom hated Adrian and yes, he was being manipulated by him, but that he also enjoyed the manipulation as well. Mm-hmm. Like that he kind of got off a little bit on the power that he was able to show over Cecilia. When he was invisible. When mm-hmm. he was wearing the suit later, you mean? Or even, or even when he's um, like intimidating him. Oh, or yeah. her in yeah. the in the hospital. Yeah, like he kind of uh, seems to be enjoying having the power for once. Yeah. Next is the cute scene with the ladder, which we already talked about. Yeah. It was nice. The breakfast, cooking the breakfast, and the yes. thing starting on fire, and and the the fact that yeah, that last shot at the end of that the one happy scene in the whole movie. Um, he lets them kind of play for a little bit, and then he's got to show that actually there's. There's probably someone there watching them the whole time and mm-hmm. kind of just brings it right back down to reality, but there's, which sucks, it through, <laughs> but it's good. Through these sequences, there's still the sense of, is there something there yes. or not? <laughs> um, because There's a couple times where there's not. Yeah, uh-huh. because I mean, like with even when the breakfast starts on fire, that could have been just like they just mm-hmm. let she just let that sit there too long. But because he's keeping the camera on that. You're yes. thinking there's got to be someone in there, right? Mm-hmm. But maybe there's not. Maybe maybe they just maybe she just there's just it's just a grease fire. You know, it could be. Yep. You know, and I, I think he, I think he was there and he turned up the. I think so. That's I think burner, I think that's the you know? implication. <laughs> I think I think so the, he was there. I think that's the implication, but I at the same time it could be interpreted either way. Yeah. And, um, I mean, less so after you've seen the movie. The first time, yeah, that's uh, true. but on your first viewing, it could it's it's still like there's a lot of question involved, and that's why his technique of yeah that really long shot starts yeah. off like totally normal. They're talking about like oh I've got a hangover, and then you know he she goes out of frame. You're waiting for you're wa- that's another thing where you're you're watching everything in the frame. You're like, am I going to see something move? Uh-huh. You know, just show that somebody is actually there, and you don't. You just kind of see the the fire go up a little bit more, which makes me think he was probably there and he turned up the burner. Right. It caused the fire. Uh, so it's so beautiful. <laughs> and then we have uh, later on that night, probably one of my favorite sequences because it starts off. I, okay. And I have terrible hearing. 
So I had the volume turned up all the way on this scene and I had the, the closed captioning on because I didn't hear this the first time. It didn't hear, you can hear like the, a door opening. Oh, okay. You can hear footsteps very, very faintly because uh-huh. the camera, all the camera is doing is just kind of slowly going down the hallway until it lands on Cecilia in the room, like on the couch on her computer. Mm-hmm. But if you turn it up really, really loud, you can very, you can just barely hear footsteps wow. the whole time. You know, when she, when she kind of looks up and she's uh-huh. looking into at the open doorway, like, sure. huh? Yeah. Oh, actually, it was before that. No, no, no. The best one is the one before that when she's getting her new. She's got her new clothes. Mm-hmm. It's after the scene with the ladder because because um, it's uh, the camera go. It pans behind her, uh-huh. you know, to where like there's nothing there. Yeah. Like he's playing with the negative space uh-huh. again. Yeah. So you're expecting like okay something's gonna happen, but instead she just walks into frame. So many of those sequences in the house are like that, where yeah. the the early part of the movie, like before you know, before the whole attic paint scene where we suddenly where we know for mm-hmm. sure that there's something yeah. like before that where like there's somebody sitting in that chair and I'm going to throw the sheet over it and then there's nothing there. Yeah. You know, um, or showing that wide shot of the window and the sitting area. And it's like, uh-huh. is there something there? <laughs> you know, is there someone behind her? Because it's framed in a way where there's lots of space behind her. You know, yes. all of that is, <laughs> I love it. I mean, honestly, as much as I like some of the more, some of the more famous scenes, you know, like the, the restaurant scene and the dinner at the end. And I, as mm-hmm. much as I like those, I think my favorite section, just like with the invisible, with the original version is these early sequences where she's I know, this just, is my favorite stuff too, where she's just in the house and you're not sure yeah. where it's, it, there's enough question and ambiguity involved for us to wonder, is she just crazy? Is she just it, not crazy? <laughs> not, that's not the right word. Right. Is yeah, she just still so, I mean, paranoia, I suppose, is, is a word, I mean, it, for it. But is she just still so uncomfortable with that feeling that she's being watched? You know, yes. which is a such a real thing, okay? Oh, yeah. My wife recently read an article of mine that I wrote on Henry, Portrait of a Serial Killer. And it actually gave her the creeps because she is deathly afraid of somebody watching her. And that's a lot of that in that movie. And I included that as a main point in the article. And so when she read that and then she went to bed, she was just like, Brian, that didn't do good for me. <laughs> it's like, cause she's always, <laughs> no. she's always been like that. She's always had this sense of, I can't go here right now because there's just something off. You know, it's a sense of being watched. It's a sense of something happened and I can't be here. It's, it's a very real thing yeah you know and that's why i think these early sequences in that house before we know the nature of his invisibility mm-hmm. are for me the most effective sequences of the movie they are it's also good um just in terms of the the probably the trauma that she's she's gone through even even knowing that or even thinking you know that someone is dead and mm-hmm. gone and can't come back into your life anymore like right. that 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 feeling doesn't go away. No. Like um, somebody I I know also went through a similar um, abusive relationship uh, situation, and they they finally got out of it. Um, I don't know if there was a physical abuse, but it was a lot of manipulation and control. Like yeah. she was moved out of state 
to get her away from her family. Mm-hmm. She had to homeschool their kids so that they were never they never left the house. They were never around anybody. Mm-hmm. It was that kind of manipulation and control. And when she was finally out of it and she was living with family again, even you know months years later like there are still things that she she didn't want to leave the house she didn't want to do things mm-hmm. um, with other people because yep. she just couldn't yep and it's there was no no reason you know to not that there was no reason to fear him no reason like he wasn't there mm-hmm. he couldn't control her anymore but that doesn't that doesn't mean that that feeling goes away yeah at all and you know that's one of the ways a lot of these manipulators work is just isolate you from everybody yes. else but them. Uh, it, so my wife had similar similar kind of situations where he would be like, oh, we are spending time together tonight. No, you can't go see your friends mm-hmm. uh, or, or whatever. He would constantly be on the case of where are you? A lot of it was that kind of a thing. And there, mm-hmm. it, it, it wasn't, uh, he didn't hit her, but he was, there was something that happened, a couple of events that happened that made her think that was probably the next step. Uh, so she mm-hmm. left. There was some um, sexual abuse. Those, so there's the, all of those sen- senses of control, of being, of just having sway, complete sway over another person that, you know, that power and that power lasts, you know, it stays with people. And I think that's one of the things that Moss and Lee Whannell both convey so well throughout all of the movie, you know, even by the ending when, when she's like, I need to go confront him to the point where James is like, what? (laughs) No. You know, you know, uh, it, it's I find that all kind of interesting. Yeah. These earlier sequences are are so good. And I was listening to I didn't get to finish it, but I was listening to a little bit of the commentary mm-hmm. um, with Lee Winnell. And and I didn't think about this, but it's probably right. Like he was really scared kind of shooting these scenes and wondering how they were going to work out because he, he was like, is this going to be boring? Right. Because it's a lot of nothing happening really it's a lot of like tracking the camera you know through the house her walking slowly through the house and Mm -hmm. but it's it's all about uh, i think what what they've established you know before all of that what she went through what the relationship was like what she's Mm -hmm. you know still kind of dealing with her fear of him it absolutely works but yeah (laughs) i didn't think about that beforehand like that's actually very very brave to do like a it lot is. of scenes like this. And it also is a credit to, you know, him hiring a great DP, you know, who can sure. give you the feel <laughs> of that, but also a great editor that can tell you, all right, this is as long as we can take this without it being yeah. falling flat. And I think that um, when you work with great people, which he clearly does, it helps a lot. I mean, and also there's the fact that just you have such terrific actors, particularly Elizabeth Moss, uh, that just... We're going to keep saying that over and over again because she fucking rules. Well, I mean, she is just... She's a presence. Like, we were talking about Claude Rains as a presence. Uh, She's very much that too i mean she's Mm -hmm. and i love one of the things i really like about this is uh, that i like about elizabeth moss she's a beautiful woman but she Mm -hmm. is never afraid to make herself look tired and sort of haggard and you know Uh, especially between that scene later on the hospital oh gosh that between this and shirley i mean she does not look glamorous in either of these films for most of the movie Mm -hmm. and i like that she's 
unafraid to really commit to that because this is feels very real and authentic because of it. Yes. I mean, even with all of its science fiction-y, premise stuff, um, when you get to later elements of it, it still f- is very grounded. There's a sense of, yeah, I, I can buy that, but you don't need to buy it because it's not the point of the movie, yeah. you know? It's the suit is cool and it's something that, you know, I think there's it's it's a ways away from being plausible, but it doesn't matter. You'd still yeah. kind of buy it. And like I said, it's because you're buying into her story that it works. That is probably one of my f- favorite elements of this movie is that there is no big scene. That explains or, how the suit works. Yeah. Yeah. You see the suits and you can kind of be like, okay, there's got little, little camera cameras on and it. stuff. Yeah, okay. Yeah. That's something. That's plausible enough. I yeah. get it. But there's no scene that just, it's not about the science. Yeah. It is about her. It's, it's very, I like, I like that decision to keep the story focused on her. Mm-hmm. But then here we have, I think, two of the most effective moments, I think, back to back. The scene that starts with, um, you know, her kind of staring up at the open doorway and she goes outside. Uh-huh. And then there's the, the, breath. the breath. I love that shot. Yeah, the famous <laughs> shot, yeah. And then right after that is is her in bed with Sydney. Yes. And the covers. Mm-hmm. First, the covers slowly slide off her. You're not really sure what it is at first, but you see like flashes. He's uh, taking pictures of her mm-hmm. with his phone. And then uh, just that I love the way this whole thing plays out (laughs) so much. Yeah. Her throwing the the sheets on the chair. And again, with the sound design, like even that sheet is so loud. Yep. Yeah. But they're not cheap jump scares either. That's one thing I, I, I don't. I don't love jump scares, but I hate them when they're cheap. If it's like a cat. Yeah, <laughs> if it's a cat or if it's some sort of dumb thing that is like, you really didn't need to do that. You're yeah. better. And yeah, there's some things in this, like the loudness of the sheet and things like that, that could make you jump. But they're not exactly, they're not a cheap jump scare, though. Hmm. They're earned, I think. And they are part of the thing uh, that makes it work, hmm. you know. I like it. And probably my favorite thing, though, is the thing with the sheet where he's standing on the sheet. Mm-hmm. She's like pulling on it and you can yeah. just see the, the outline of the feet. And then he kind of like walks on the sheet a little bit. I think yeah. it's so good. It's so well pulled off. And then there's like another kind of funny scene when like James comes in and Sydney grabs the mace and he's like, who are you going to spray? Yeah. <laughs> when actually there is somebody in there. Right. You know, <laughs> which is also another creepy thing. And that comes in later too. I mean, there that that plays mm-hmm. that plays out later, which is which is nice. Now this like this sequence though that sort of breaks my heart a little bit is where uh, Cecilia and Sydney are just sort of talking and having sort of a tender moment, and then Adrian hits her, and mm-hmm. and we but James assumes that it's Cecilia, yeah, and just instinctively and th- in a totally understandable way is like get away from my daughter get away from her and just take, takes her out. And I, I think that is just like, there's an, okay. So in a, in a real world sense, okay. There's a sense of sometimes our traumas or something can unintentionally hurt other people, mm-hmm. you know, our own hangups, our own things that cause us pain can cause us to hurt other people unintentionally. And in a sense, you have this Adrian literally as Cecilia's trauma, you know, physically hurting somebody and Mm -hmm. that is uh, that that makes that scene have a have another layer for me and cecilia's like i 
I didn't, first of all, she didn't do it at all, (laughs) of course. And, you know, even, but there's also this sense of, I didn't mean it. You know, I didn't intend to hurt you in whatever way. Right. And that is effective and really kind of a heartbreaking scene. And then, you know, after she has the house to herself and she's like, okay, you son of a bitch, I'm going to catch you. There's more more before that. (laughs) I'm going to talk about um, I like the scene too. Another kind of heartbreaking scene to me is when um, it's after the shower scene where they oh. not the one from the trailer. They right. didn't use the, the handprint, hand unfortunately. Yeah. Um, she finds out she's been drugged with the diazepam. She finds right. a di- diazepam bottle and yeah. there, and then she takes James to go see Tom. Right. I love this scene too. Another just another standout thing for Elizabeth Moss when she's just like. Please tell him to stop. Mm-hmm. That's all she was. That's all she's asking. And it's just it's so that's so heartbreaking to me. And like that whole story that she tells of Adrian basically being able to read her mind, you know, yeah. when she's like, that, you know, one time I was just sitting there and I was thinking about how to leave him and I didn't have to say anything and he just said, for him to say, you'll never leave me. You'll never leave me. Yeah, that's and so I'll, chilling and creepy again. Wherever you go, I will find you. I will see yeah. you. I will know. Um, I'll be able to walk right yeah. up to you and you won't like you won't know that I'm there or something. Yeah. Which he has. Mm-hmm. And it's and this is also kind of a good scene cuz this is before, you know, we actually find out that, you know, about the suit or anything. Um what Tom says is that, you know, isn't that a brilliant wouldn't that be a brilliant thing to do like not to actually invent something that makes you invisible but just to make you think that yeah. he invented something to make him invisible. Yeah. I was like, that's good because I mean, another part of her that she talks about another part of what she went through with him is, um, you know, him gaslighting her. Yeah. Which is, he's like doing that all over again mm-hmm. because everyone assumes that, that he's dead and she's, she obviously, she knows that he's there. I like mean, the diazepam bottle. Yeah. Like she dropped it that night on the road. It's like yep. she knows that he had, he had it yep. and that he's the one that brought it back. Mm-hmm. But like, no one, no one's going to listen no to her. No believe one believes her. her. I mean, it's insane. An yeah. invisible man? Are you kidding? <laughs> An invisible man. <laughs> but even she says, you know, like he's, he's, you know, he's a world leader in the field of optics. Again, like another, like not having to really mm-hmm. explain how it works, but yeah. just that it is possible that he could do it. And it's, this seems like the kind of thing that would be, you know, obviously like a stealth military aircraft yeah. <laughs> you would would use you know but then just applying that to uh, a human suit right mm-hmm. and you can get in these scenes too um james is starting to kind of his facade is kind of breaking down a little bit uh, he's not really believing her and oh yeah yeah and, like, and he's try he says nice things <laughs> He, to he's her like trying, that but he's, just like, he's trying he's like he's like don't let him win by bringing him back to life yeah is one thing they says I like. And it's not like anything. Tom. I think Tom says, says is... that, but still, yeah, I think Tom says that, but still, like, they're both saying yeah. the same thing. Like, don't let him win. It's not, He's and it's, it's not necessarily anything horrible that James is saying no. either. I mean, it's, I mean, in most cases, this would be true, you know? Yeah. <laughs> right? He just kind of yeah. like, in this scene in particular, he's just kind of like rolling his eyes a little bit. Like, uh, like at first he's very protective. I love, I love what he says at the beginning is like, Hey, why don't you like have some respect and like, listen to her talk for a second. Yeah. But then when she says, you know, he might be invisible is when he's like, what? Yeah, I know. Come on. See, like, come on. <laughs> Which, you know, he, he's concerned, I think about her, yeah. her mental health at that point, you know, sure. because that is uh, the kind of thing that someone who, is having problems 
or extreme or levels of paranoia or something like that could say and it's like that that's probably that's pretty unlikely there you know yeah. <laughs> is, is what you'd be thinking right so you kind of i kind of get where james is coming from through a lot of sure. this you know and and you know all the being protective of his daughter for goodness sake when she gets sure. <laughs> hurt you know well then um cecilia goes to see emily mm-hmm. um and the email oh, thing gosh, comes up the emily uh, yeah that that's oh wow okay and in, in, in this scene too, like I understand that Emily is is angry uh-huh. about what she thinks that her sister supposedly thinks of her that she read in this email. So I can almost sort of excuse what she says um, in this scene, but not entirely because um, uh, she says that thing about being too stupid not to know who the good guys are and too weak to get away from the bad ones. Oh yeah. I heard that and I was like, oh, shit. Yeah, yeah that's, <laughs> that's really coming from a place of, that's coming from a place of hurt and anger. Yes. You know. But that is a deep wound yeah. mm-hmm. to, to make. And, and she's like, don't sob to me for charity. It's like, it's not charity. She really did need help. Yeah. But uh, yeah, she's just, I think Emily is just a very, very bold, you know, personality yeah not really afraid to speak her mind and yeah. she probably steps in it a lot and this is a big big one i oh, think yeah. the, i think don't she say would, this if, don't say this kind of shit to people who've been through this right if she reflects on it later i'm sure she would yeah regret exactly saying that exactly then this yeah this is right before um the, what you were talking about where um sydney gets hit uh the scene where um she's just laying on the floor crying yeah like oh my god yep <laughs> That's such a real, real thing. Mm-hmm. And it, though she breaks my heart throughout this whole movie. Yeah. And, um, yeah, Sydney is, um, Storm Reed is so good in that scene. The way she's yeah. just like instantly so scared. Like you can feel it. Her nose is bleeding. You know, she obviously was hit very hard. And I, yeah, I would be scared in that moment too. And, yeah. um, James being so protective. I, I love the, the kind of character. He's a very, he's one of those very, like, kind of, he's kind of a softy, you can tell. Yeah. Definitely. But, he also has a, that protective streak. I mean, he's a cop. Well, of course. And he, well, I mean, it's his freaking daughter. Yeah. <laughs> <You know? laughs> well, and he has a protective streak towards, towards Cecilia too. Yeah, he does. Which uh, I just love to see him. But, um, but yeah, yeah, you don't, you don't begrudge him the way he reacts in this moment at all. No. Because it's his daughter. Yeah. But it's, you're, you're blaming Adrian because she, as she's saying in the scene, like, this is what he does. He isolates me from people. He makes people think that I don't want to be around them or he causes problems between me and other people, you know, so that I'm dependent on him and that he's doing it all over again. Mm-hmm. And then the scene um, when she like, she pours the coffee on the floor yeah. and she's just sitting there waiting for him. Yeah. Uh, th- that's another thing that just kills me when she's just like, why me, Adrian? Mm-hmm. But any victim of anything thinks is like, why, why me? Why did this have to happen to me? Yeah. What did I do? Yeah. You could have anybody else. I think that's interesting too. I mean, and I think that's another point where you have Elizabeth Moth sort of downplaying her physical beauty a little bit two where she's saying i'm just normal you know i'm Mm -hmm. just a normal everyday person you are one of the wealthiest people around here and you could have been with some supermodel or whatever but it was me someone who is not wealthy someone who is i mean i think in the way she's I, i i don't the way she's playing the role at least someone of sort of i guess 
attainable beauty. <laughs> I don't know what I don't know how else <laughs> sure. to put it. Yeah. Is it. I don't I don't want to sound insensitive. That's not I know. that's not it's hard to say things like this. But I think that is part of how Moss is playing the character though. I really do. Yes, I I I, I, I don't think that I think she's trying cuz like I've said, I mean Elizabeth Moss is gorgeous, but I mean she's really throughout the course of but the movie But there is in society that. there is yeah, in there's society a, there's there an ideal is, that is There's an ideal beauty that is put out there and maybe not her. Yes. That Elizabeth Elizabeth Moss doesn't look exactly like. I mean, she looks. Yeah, she looks normal. <laughs> yeah, she looks like a regular human being. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> um, you know, I mean, she's she's not. You know, for example, like uh, size zero. <laughs> sure. You know, she's got some curves, which I like. Um, but you know, it's. Um, <laughs> You know what I mean? Um, yeah, I know. Just, those are just. <laughs> it's it hard to say that, but yeah. yeah. I mean, I'm not trying to. That's. It's. It's never going to come out the way I am really I meaning know. it. You know, but I. I hope you. I hope the spirit of what I'm trying to say is coming across here. But I. I think that that is the, which is one of those things. I mean, there's a lot of that. I mean, in in movies, I mean, you can think about like Halloween. It's like you know why why Laurie Strode. <laughs> Why, why her? I mean, she just happened to mm-hmm. be the person who dropped the key off at the door that day. You know, there's no other yeah. reason. Also that, you know, he's he's a manipulator. Yeah. He's an abuser. He's, he obviously saw something in her that he thought that he could control. Yeah, exactly. That's, that's, mo- that's most likely what it was. It probably had nothing to do with... It's you know, like, what she looks hey. like or anything is that he saw something he saw a weakness in her that he could play with. that he could that he could exploit yeah and i and i think that probably a person of not particularly great means you know now i can't have the world to offer you you mm-hmm. know look at all this that i've got and i'm yep. sure it's a it's whatever slow process he went through to just sort of entrap her it's like what are you gonna do run away ha 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 I own yep. you kind of thing. And it's terrible that there are people like that who exist, who feel that they have that kind of power and deserve to have that kind of power or something too. You know, I think there's a, mm-hmm. there's a sense of entitlement to people like that too, which is just awful. It's awful. And th- she says in the scene too, it's like, you know, there's nothing left for you to take. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You've already taken it all. Yeah. Just all these little lines that are, very powerful to me like throughout this movie yeah and then um after this is the whole attic sequence yep. which is another one that just gets me excited it was terrific <laughs> you know this is since the, here's where you got the horror director yes <laughs> and the action director working together i right? think so you know because there's that sense of dread it's almost like you know in the exorcist that scene where she's looking for the rats and the f- candle suddenly flames up uh you know it's <laughs> it's <laughs> Um, but then just throwing the paint out and, you know, there's something there. Oh my gosh. She, she was right. Just the thing of, again, it was just being in the dark room with a flashlight and only showing what the flashlight can see. Just having, um, having a nice wide centered shot of her with just blackness behind her. You're like, ugh. Mm -hmm. And another thing with the sound design, when she calls his phone and the phone is like right there in the foreground, and it's again so like the dog bowl it's so loud when it rings i remember that part in the theater too just like scaring the shit out of me yeah yeah <laughs> it's so good and up there she finds um obviously she finds his phone with all the pictures that he yeah. took of her she finds her portfolio which uh was empty fucked up her yeah her fucked up her job, job interview, interview asshole mm-hmm. and he finds a ziploc bag a random knife in a ziploc bag like what's 
what's going on with that? Yeah. <laughs> we will find out later. Yep. And then, yeah, the the, th- uh, the part with the paint. That was so good because there's no indication that she's going to do that. Mm-hmm. Like right before she does it, you know, right. like she's just staring down that hole. Yep. And it's in like, it's like two, it's like a second. She grabs the paint and like, he's there. Yep. I love it's That's so good. The way he does that. And then, um, an amazing kind of upgrade type sequence um, is in the kitchen. Uh huh. Yeah. When he attacks her, I yeah. fucking love this scene. And Elizabeth Moss wanted to do as much of it as she could herself, and so mm-hmm. you can really see her there. And I, I, I think that's um, really effective um, as well. I really loved the behind the scenes of how they did this yeah. too. Yeah, I, because I watched it's, that uh, as well. Did you? Mm-hmm. I thought that was so cool. It's a it's a motion. What's it called? A motion sensor camera or whatever. So basically, it's like a it's a robotic camera that is kind of programmed to do certain mm-hmm. moves or whatever to go certain places. And so, like when you watch the behind the scenes of how they did this, because um, there's a lot of it is there's like there's some cuts, but a lot of it is in one shot, and yep. they had to. There's like a count they had to do. There's somebody behind them going like one, two, three, four, five. And like at certain numbers, they would have to be in a certain position or do a certain action because the camera was going to move whether the actor was ready or not. Yeah, so it's a motion in that control position. camera. Yeah. So that, which means that the all the moves are programmed yeah. into a computer. Yeah. So that the so, so they, that it can be replicated exactly every single time is the yeah, whole. Yeah, but point the actors it, yeah. had to be in the right spot because yeah, the camera was gonna go to this spot at this time. Mm-hmm. So you got to be there too. I thought I just I love the, like the intricacies of of that kind of stuff. It was so cool and yeah. the dedication that has to come you know from the actor to like to be able to know. To be able to act uh-huh. and and be in the right spot at the same time, yeah. And she gets she gets her ass kicked in this scene too. She gets yeah. like thrown across the table mm-hmm. and choked and thrown against the wall. Yeah. Which I, I almost I hate to say I like I kind of like in movies. I like when there's like real real stakes when they really have to go through it and it really makes you hate the guy. Yep. You know, yep. again because you need that. You don't. I don't and, know if you really need it that much, but uh, just right. to show that she's. She's a tough bitch, and yeah. <laughs> I love like especially comes up later on in the last scene. Yeah, one of the things that's kind of interesting is the person that played Adrian, you know, when he's visible, is also in the green suit. Is in yes. the green, you know, he's actually, and it's uh, I can't remember his name, but he's in uh, um, Bly Manor. Oliver. Shit. Yeah. Oliver Jackson Cohen. Yeah. So he's in uh, the Haunting of Hill House and uh, uh, the Haunting of Bly Manor. So yeah, I was surprised that he was actually in the suit. I figured that would be a stunt person. Yeah, I did too. I did too. Um, but uh, they were showing him. It's like, oh, it's him. Mm-hmm. There, it was really yeah. him. And I thought that was really cool because I mean, they you wouldn't have to do that. You could make him whatever height or whatever you wanted, sure. you know, because uh, when you actually see the suit, it's computer generated. So mm-hmm. uh, over the top of that. So I think that is uh, it was interesting to do it that way. The sound in this scene is really cool, too. Like mm-hmm. when he first like picks her up by the neck and the, it's just I don't know like what the music is. And it's just like these really loud notes. It's so cool. <laughs> I don't know how to describe it. <laughs> yeah. This one thing that's weird to me, I didn't really think about the score in either one of these movies. Really? Because early 30s, uh, scores were only just becoming coming into use by 1933. Uh, so I'm thinking back, is like, was there a score in The Invisible Man? <laughs> I 
I don't remember even, which is really <laughs> funny because I would normally notice that and I wasn't thinking about it. Obviously, there is in the in the 2020 version, but I don't know why I didn't think about it. There's, I think there must have been because I probably would have noticed the absence of music more than the presence of it. <laughs> You know, it's just one of those things. He knows when to use music and when to not use music in this movie, too. Mm -hmm. So then uh, Cecilia goes back to the house, finds the suit, all that. And then probably the greatest scene ever is the restaurant scene. This restaurant scene is something. I mean, you see Oh, my God. I lost my shit in the theater watching this. Everybody did. Well, there's lots of great character stuff here because Emily... It's like, what? Will you want some water? Yeah, the free kind. <laughs> you know, I love all that stuff. Yeah, it's one of those like ridiculous, trendy restaurants. Uh, Have you been here before? You know how this place works. And Emily is like, having I none of you it. Order I love it. Food and you bring it. <laughs> <laughs> She's having none of it. I love that. Love all of that. <laughs> and poor Taylor is just like, okay, thanks. Yeah. Kind of feel bad for him, but yeah, you also kind of love. <laughs> you also kind of love her reactions. Yeah, it's funny. <laughs> so, um, um, I do love what Cecilia says to her, and she's she's telling Emily like how strong she is and how much you know, and mm-hmm. saying that, um, yeah, yeah, you know, I think James is a little afraid of you, and like you could probably kick his ass. And she, Emily's like, yeah, I would, I would, yeah, <laughs> and you believe her. <laughs> I love that, and how how she needs that in her her life right now and you get just the little hint that you know she's gonna forgive the email thing and they're gonna reconcile yeah and she's like um i found a way that could prove what's happening i I found something in his and the way that he does this she's in the middle of a sentence and you just see emily looking off quizzically at something behind her head and it's like you're not even prepared for what happens Mm -hmm. It, it turns back like there's a knife floating yeah. uh, by Cecilia's head and like, shoom. yeah, and just <laughs> and slashes dead. her and throat, yeah. slices her throat. And then it's in Cecilia's hand and you're like, what the fuck just yeah. happened? <laughs> it's brilliant. Yeah. And then, you know, the, the other patron just screams and the waiter holding her down until the police yeah. come. I mean, it's the way the sound kind of goes out, like, cause she's, and the thing about this, like, you know, what the everyone, <laughs> even though we are following Cecilia, I don't think I ever feel like the other people in the movie with, uh, with the exception of Adrian are acting unfairly. I think mm-hmm. it seems like they're all acting in ways that, that are understandable. It's like, sure. you hit my daughter. There's no one else here. You have a knife in your hand and the woman at across the table from you has her throat slashed. We're putting you on the floor. I mean, everything makes sense. You know, yes. there's, you, so you don't like necessarily feel animosity towards the people who are just reacting in ways that make sense. and But you never lose your sympathy for Cecilia either. No. And I think that uh, is is well handled. Um, everything makes sense. Everything is reality yeah. bound. Because it's not that they're not listening to her and they don't want to believe her. It's just that they can't. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, because yeah. it's an invisible person. They're, that's, they're like, that's the thing. We want you to get. We want what's best for you, and it sounds like maybe getting some treatment is one of those things. You know, mm-hmm. I think that's what it feels like uh, in a, for some, especially like James and and Emily. And honestly, I was shocked that Emily didn't make it through this movie. You know, yeah. I, I I thought she was. I didn't expect her to get killed. 
when I first saw this. So it was just like, so I was completely taken by surprise by that sequence. Yeah. And just the way that he does it was absolutely perfect. Just so that you are so taken off guard. Mm -hmm. And I like that. I think the scene of right after that, like when there's like a little bit of chaos in the restaurant Mm -hmm. and she's just, I think that's also for the audience (laughs) to kind of get over, get over what they've just seen too. Yeah. 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 And you know, at the beginning of the scene before Emily shows up, just that sort of shot of the empty chair is really Mm -hmm. well done. And that is brought back in the closing scene too, because Adrian is sitting there and they show her empty chair. That's true. And of course, he is dispatched in the same way, right? <laughs> yes. So indeed. I think that's um, I think that's interesting because those are parallel. Oh my scenes, god! Parallel. I scenes. literally did not even think about that. <laughs> just... Okay. Well, there you go. <laughs> what is wrong with me? Yeah. Oh my god, I'm an idiot. <laughs> yeah, but those scenes are those are parallel scenes. Yeah. I am an idiot. No, wow. No. No. <laughs> <sighs> uh, then she gets um, dragged away to the. I guess in some kind of mental hospital, they yeah, just call it a treatment a, center. A treatment center, yeah. And uh, she is acting. I don't. I, again, we don't like to say this, but she is acting a little bit more crazy, unhinged, probably yeah. <laughs> in these scenes when she's trying to explain it to people. Mm-hmm. And yeah, like you were saying too, like she looks so haggard. Yeah, I mean, in, she's in got scenes. those huge circles <laughs> under her eyes. She's got like blotches on her face, and she's just her, like no makeup stringy hair yeah. and she's, she's just doing the wild sh- eye thing yeah you know. which makes people not believe her even more <laughs> even more unfortunately which is probably what adrian wanted you know he's driving yeah. her to this point well and the something and this is i mean i know this is a, a little bit later down the line here where tom comes in and says hey you know part of the deal here is that you are mentally competent you know and oh yeah that in that earlier scene when um he's explaining the will i remember thinking that that was really weird you know she'd get like five million dollars or whatever he says specifically contingent upon certain things you know like if you commit a crime which i was like that's really random yeah (laughs) That but he, he would mention he doesn't say, that and only that specifically. And it, it, it it's it's surprising he didn't say you know and you know prove that you are uh, mentally stable or whatever um, as well. Because I remember something about the preview or something like that included that there. Oh really? Yeah. Because <laughs> okay. Because uh, I because mean, trailers I are always making... deceptive. Yeah, I know. Yeah. <laughs> I remember that line that making me think like, oh, that's that's coming back somehow yeah. i didn't think it was gonna come back in this way oh yeah. emily was gonna die yeah and i love what she says oh she finds out she's pregnant yeah um which is important later on but i love when um this is the scene i was talking about when tom comes to see her where he's kind of showing that he's kind of a manipulative jerk too and that maybe mm-hmm. he's enjoying yep, the power a little the bit one, yep. and what what she says to him is perfect too it's like you're just the jellyfish version of him yeah Everything but the spine, uh-huh. <laughs> which is perfect. <laughs> yeah, because I mean, uh, you kind of have that moment in the in the second part, in the second scene with Tom, where you're you're kind of like, well, maybe we can trust him after all, you know? Mm-hmm. Where he says, you know, I was I was just as manipulated as as anybody which I believe by he, him. Which I believe he was. I think so too, and I think he probably even still is by this point. Um, oh yeah. But he's also kind of let himself give into it a little bit. Yeah. 
But then he shows his true colors, mm-hmm. I would say, in this scene. It's so creepy, too. Like, right before he kind of um, he kind of looks off to his right before he says this to her yeah. as if Adrian is standing right there. Mm-hmm. Uh, that creeps me out. Right before he like gives her the option of agreeing to have the baby and going back to him. Uh, that just kind of kills you too because a it's like okay he knew all along that he was still Still alive alive. and that you know he really is using this invisible suit against her and that he was in on it the whole time Mm -hmm. and helping him yeah it's almost a scream thing you know where there are actually two invisible men um though we as far as we know um tom was only the invisible man in that one scene yeah yeah I, I wonder if that was if it was him anywhere else. I think it was probably Adrian. I, she she <sighs> seems to think so because she says in a later scene that it was Adrian, except for this one time, it was mm-hmm. always Adrian. I think so um, because Adrian would have been at home, you know, locking himself up in the wall. Right? We're getting a little ahead of and, ourselves, but um, <laughs> yeah, this whole sequence in the institution, she steals the pen and everything. So. He says to her in the scene too, like he needs you because you don't need him yep. anymore. It's another really cool, yeah. And then she, I like how, I like how in this scene, like this is when she looks the worst. I think she's got her hair yeah. is like stringy, her face is blotchy. She looks like just done for. But I think she's also starting to play a little bit too. I think she's starting to to she is put on that. She's putting uh-huh. on that face. Because the minute that he, the, the very second that he like bends down, you know, pick up a paper, or she just immediately grabs the pen. Yep. Like she's she's ready for it. She's got a plan in her head. She's she's formulating it all now. Mm-hmm. So where she stabs herself in the arm to sort of lure him out, um, mm-hmm. and then uses the pen to stab him in the chest. And yep. it, I I love this whole thing where you have the partially visible suit, you know, sort of blinking yeah. in and out. She's and she's stabbing him, I don't think to kill him, but no. to make the to suit To make the suit glitch out, yeah. Yeah. Obviously she's like, I can't kill him with a pen. I yeah. I can hurt him. <laughs> I can wound him a bit, maybe. Maybe I can get him to bleed on the floor uh, or something. And so people will see. Yeah. Yeah. But this she's whole, trying to get other people to see other people to believe her yeah. for once. Yeah. And you know, this is where you're talking about that hallway actions. That's yeah. this is, this is the most like upgrade of it's uh, so good. any of them, you know, where, you know, he gets the cop to shoot himself in the leg and I uh, love that. Yeah. <laughs> the way the camera moves, you know, it sort of switches in and out of Adrian's perspective. Mm-hmm. Um, I think that's, really cool and um because sometimes it's like you are you are in you're in that killer pov you're in that you're in his eyes and then mm-hmm. it, then it sort of pulls out of it again and you see the gun floating in the air yes you know uh, <laughs> that's and then so good drops the gun then out in the rain where she gets out of the building and and chases after him with the gun and that whole rain thing you know on the head and shoulders though he's mm-hmm. hiding underneath the uh the what the hatchback the there that, the hatch is open yeah. yeah it's great you know and she gets it's me good. one thing i noticed <laughs> there's a little nod and i didn't notice this the first time i saw it i only noticed it this time there's some jigsaw graffiti on the yes, fence there is. <laughs> uh, on the fence of, outside the hospital i yep. thought oh, okay nice <laughs> i didn't notice it either someone pointed it out on twitter like after the movie came out i was like oh i forgot to look for billy yeah. they usually put he put billy in the other movies <laughs> yeah i was like okay there we go that's that's fun there he is he's that's on fun. he's on one of the walls like after um after she escapes out and he has a uh, 
threatened Sydney mm-hmm. at this point. So that's where she's going. She's going after Sydney. Um, she tells James she calls James, first. right? This is where she calls James yeah. and says, you know, just get home. You know, mm-hmm. he's on his way. Um, yeah. And I like this scene too with, um, I don't like it. I like this moment. <laughs> I don't like her being attacked because she's no, sweet. I love not. her. Yeah. Um, but the, the part where she, she does finally spray the pepper spray into yeah. nothing. That's like a little hint that like, oh, Maybe maybe she's right about something. Yeah, <laughs> you know, like she kind of believes her for for a minute in that moment because she feels like somebody is there, and it, it's, a, it's such a good moment again when she sprays and like just stuff gets knocked over on the table mm-hmm. next to him, like he's yeah. like he's fallen over. Yep. Oh, it's so good. And then James comes in and like gets his ass kicked. Yeah. Unfortunately, which is you know it's understandable. The dude's invisible. Um, yeah. yeah. But then, you know, spraying him with the, uh, the fire extinguisher and you have the floating um, <laughs> the floating sort of <laughs> stuff on him. Head and, head and shoulders yeah. is all you can really see of him. And uh, Cecilia, yeah, that's Cecilia. She comes in and does that and shoots him and takes off the, the mask and it's Tom. It's Tom, yeah. Which is quite a surprise, you know, because there's a moment of wondering. Maybe it was Tom the whole time. You know, maybe Adrian mm-hmm. really. And then she's like, no. Nah, I didn't. It, I didn't ever it believe was that. Him. No. It was him. Yeah. And <laughs> I didn't ever believe it. I was surprised in that moment yeah. when I first saw this. Yeah. But I was like, mm-mm. Yeah. <laughs> Adrian did something. Made him do that. No. And then finding uh, Adrian, you know, in the basement of his house, yeah. you know, locked up sort of prisoner style. Um, <laughs> have you seen that movie prisoners with, uh, yes. <laughs> oh, that's a wild movie. Anyway, <laughs> I just watched that for the first time. Not too long. Ago. Oh, you did? Yeah. Yeah. Like last week. <laughs> yeah. That's a cool movie. Um, anyway, uh, so he's down sort of tied up in his basement. She's like, no, he did it to himself. No, he figured out. He, how, how does anyone believe that for even a second? Yeah. Yeah. She's, she's like, there's no question in my yeah, mind. It's no way. definitely him. So she calls Adrian. Mm-hmm. And then goes over to the house for dinner. Yeah. Now this scene um, is so great because I mean she. Okay, I'm thinking while they're having that conversation, when she starts crying and everything like that, and then she gets up, she excuses herself. She's letting Adrian think that he's in control still. Yes, I think she's acting this whole time. I think so too. And the reason why is because of the whole. <laughs> And then just the sudden switch on her face where she's yeah. like, I think she's act- well, first of all, she's bringing a wires because James is out there listening. Yeah. She's so she's 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 set up both of them, which is you kind of feel a little bit like for, uh, she's, James, she's yeah. manip. Mm-hmm. Yeah, for she James, because he's been he's been manipulated in this in this moment. But I don't know. I'm, I'm OK with it. There <laughs> is there is a sense at the end of the movie, though. It's a double edged thing. Obviously, I mean, I I think there is this, you know, she's got the thing in the bag and she is the she's sort of taken on literally the mantle of the invisible man. Right. Mm -hmm. And so some of that manipulation that came with it, too. However, there's I think she's earned it the way the way it goes at the end, though, where she just walks out into the open and just sort of closes her eyes, I think is um is a sense of freedom and, and yes. everything. So, I mean, there's, there's an, I didn't think about her being a manipulator no. really at all until you mentioned it a second ago. Well, you just kind of get that little hint of betrayal from James uh-huh. when he's like, he's like, you never wanted to catch him on tape 
you know, doing anything. And she did. Yeah. She wanted to prove, you know, because she, I think she planned the whole time, no matter what he said, no matter how much she pretended like, oh, maybe this could work out. And if he actually admitted to doing anything, yeah. I think she would have killed him either way. Yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I think so too. I mean, she, she gets up to, her, to excuse herself to go to the bath to the bathroom freshen up or something and um then he's just sort of staring at the empty chair <laughs> and then all of a sudden his hands grabbed and he, the knife is drawn across his throat <laughs> yeah and then then uh she comes back didn't out. expect that either oh, oh my God. gosh oh my gosh he's hurting, he's hurting he's dying he's dying and then she just backs out of the view of the camera I- when I saw her doing that, I was like, oh, I was so like, oh, great. damn. Hangs up the phone and, then, and just, uh, just, it, she's just stone faced. It's so perfectly played. So perfect. And, the way her face drops, I was just like, yeah, and then, girl. And then surprise. Surprise. The way she says surprise is so wonderful. And That's then, something that Adrian's been taunting her with the whole movie. Exactly. Surprise. Surprise. That was on the text mm-hmm. message on the phone. Mm-hmm. That's what you hear him say like after she's uh, been taken to the treatment center. Yeah. After she's left alone in the room, you just hear him go, surprise, like really lightly. Yeah. You know? Now this- uh, So perfect. Her, fa- her face when she's just kind of watching him die. Mm-hmm. It's just sort of like, hmm. <laughs> like she has yep. no care in the world about it. Yep. But she shouldn't. Right. Well, then of course, you know, Good James, for her. Yeah, that's right. You know, and then of course, James knows what happens. He sees the suit in the bag and she just says, what did it sound like? Yeah. What did it sound what like? It, to sound you? Li- it sounded like he committed suicide. And of course he doesn't believe that, but he's like, but you know, this is the way this needs to go, you know? Mm-hmm. And I, I think that is, and just the way that, that it ends. I mean, where she just walks out into the open air and it's just like and hold, it's a shot that holds on her follows her mm-hmm. and yeah the movie started with her opening her eyes yep and it in is. bed mm-hmm. it ends with her her closing her eyes like uh, that to me that that does feel yeah like a sense of of freedom like that she can finally be free of feeling like she's watched she can she can close her eyes and relax yes yeah that's what that last shot feels like to me yeah yeah that's definitely true huh <sighs> So, I mean, I like, I like how at the end, you know, she is, she moves from being victim to being survivor. Sure. If, if that's the right terminology. Yeah. She was a survivor at the beginning. Of course. But then but, she probably feels more comfortable wearing that title now, you know? Yeah. In a way. Yeah. Yeah. I think so. It, it's a positive feeling kind of movie. <sighs> okay. My wife, I have mentioned this before. My wife did not care for midsummer uh because the ending where danny sort of escapes her manipulative boyfriend she basically just trades one version of abuse for another by by getting involved with the cult here uh she does not trade one form of abuse for another she is free of it by taking matters into her own hands and i think that is why this movie I think makes me think so much of my wife <laughs> um, because that's sort of very much her her outlook on it all and now she's like if I can help anybody else out through what I have experienced then I want to do that um, it's not easy <laughs> yeah um, but it's something that um, you know she, I mean, obviously, it's still there. I mean, the trauma is still there. It always will be. It has effects on on everything, you know, 
going forward, mm-hmm. right? But, you know, I think a movie like this conveys that spirit so beautifully and strongly, I think. Um, mm-hmm. And that's why I think I don't walk away from, even though, you know, obviously I'm connected with someone who's experienced something similar. I can watch this movie and be and not be devastated by it. Right. Whereas there's others. There's where you can understand. Yeah. The trauma and feel it and and have the sympathy that you need for the character. Because if you haven't been through something like that yourself. Right. You know, so you feel what they deserve, you know, Mm -hmm. to have people know, you know, what they've gone through and the pain that that causes. Mm -hmm. But then to also, yeah, come out on, not maybe not on top, but just victorious feeling like a little victorious in some way like that it's going to get better it's not going to be perfect isn't it no it's not ever going to go away but yeah there is a sense of relief and freedom and that Mm -hmm. no he hasn't won at the end right yeah that's i think the the perfect way to put it and i love your life and (laughs) i haven't met her i think i said hi Uh, (laughs) we said hi one time over skype god i don't know about her watching this i almost want her to watch this and have that feeling at the end but i don't know from what you've told me i don't know that i would want to put her through that i don't know that she would be okay (laughs) she's been watching a television show on netflix called made which is some of some of these similar things and she's actually really connecting with that show and liking that show. So it's not necessarily those things. I think what really bothered her about Midsummer was the fact that it was just like, she's, she's still trapped though. Yeah. That's what really bothered her about that movie. Uh, and plus the people burning to death at the end. She wasn't crazy about that. <laughs> she wasn't cool <laughs> that really that. disturbed her. <laughs> but, uh, uh, <laughs> anyway. Well, just because, you know, there are survivors like me who do watch movies mm-hmm. like this because it is a, a way of uh, yeah. processing. Yeah. And like I said, that show made, I mean, it's, it's not a horror thing, but because mm-hmm. um, that's just not her thing. But yeah. um, it has helped. She, she says shows like that really do help her process those things too. That's so, good. Yeah. I don't begrudge any survivor that no. can't watch stuff like that. No, no, uh, not at all. No. So love this movie. Um, I was so impressed with um, every element of this movie. Like when I first watched it and just kind of watching it over and over again and like really looking at what it's doing and the craft behind it. Fuck. This is such a home run. Yeah. And I I love this movie. So glad I got to talk about it too, as always. All right. Cool. Are we done? I think, I think so. I think they covered a lot of good stuff. Cool. All right. So we have a couple of uh, recommendations to go and these, they actually connect today. <laughs> yeah, yeah, both of them do. Yeah. So we kind of independently decided that um, our recommendation was going to be our favorite uh, sequels from yeah. the <laughs> the original uh, Invisible Man series. So what's yours? Um, mine is actually the last one before they met Abaddon Costello, at least, mm-hmm. uh, which was The Invisible Man's Revenge. I think it's a really interesting movie. It's sort of um, a lot of the sequels are more comedic or heroic. Uh, The Invisible Agent, for example, is, you know, he's literally an agent, you know, fighting the Nazis, you know, which cool. (laughs) It's it's I like that one. Um, I like them all, really. 
I, I think uh, Visible Man Returns is a little bland, um, despite the Vincent Price of it all. I love Vincent Price. <laughs> but um, but the others I like a lot. But Invisible Man's Revenge is sort of returns to the Invisible Man being an asshole thing, <laughs> which I find- which we love. Which I find very entertaining. I think he's really- f- kind of interesting he's a he's a criminal who's escaped and he's trying to figure out this way to keep hidden from the police and so he uh he's like hey my great uncle jack you know had this invisibility potion maybe i can figure out that and so and it weirdly becomes kind of a vampire movie uh because it has all these blood transfusion things to keep him yeah that's right oh, invis- yeah, yeah. being able to become visible again it, it's i don't know it's an interest i like it i think it's a really interesting one i think it's kind of got some of that sort of gnarly spirit of the original while still being really entertaining mm-hmm. yeah i hadn't seen any of the the sequels before and i i watched them all in like two days i rented them all from the library and uh-huh. kind of watched them all one right after the other uh, not too long ago actually and my favorite one honestly was the invisible woman mm-hmm. from 1940 doesn't really seem to be like a very popular one in the series, but I had the most fun with it. It, it's yeah, a, it is more of a straight comedy. It's a comedy, yeah. It's a lot of fun than the rest of them. But I had so much fun with it. What is it? Uh, she answers an ad. Virginia mm-hmm. Bru- Bruce is the main, the Invisible Woman mm-hmm. uh, in the movies. Like she answers some ad, yeah, right. And yeah, she, to be a model, you, to be a model. That's right, and because she's like a, a model at this like dress shop or something, yeah. and she uses the invisibility to like get back at her boss that she hates, and yeah. it's just it's such a it was a cute movie. I had a lot of fun with this one. I like I liked all of them too. Yeah, but this is the one. I enjoyed the most. That one's a lot of fun. I mean, it's got Margaret Hamilton in it, who played the Wicked Witch of the West, and it's got Shemp Howard from the Three Stooges in it. Yes, um, it's it's just kind of it's it's weird. It's it's a little goofy sometimes, but in like an entertaining way. You yeah. know, I don't mean that in a negative way at all. No, I like them all really too. I think they're fun. I watched them all um, before the 2020 version came out because I uh, one of my first big articles for anywhere was Dread Central article, you know, covering the history of Invisible Man movies. <laughs> so I watched all of these cool. really quickly, as well as a few others. So if that legacy set of the Invisible Man movies, yeah. if you can find it and uh, give some of these a watch, they're a lot of fun to watch and worth watching. They are. Yeah. Okay. So what do we have going on Next time, uh, we have a little bit of a bonus. We do that we want to do. Yeah, so we're going to explain this. We're coming up to our one year anniversary, which is crazy. Uh, which is actually when we're recording this, it's still like two months away. Yeah, but still. that's okay. <laughs> well, it's um, yeah, it's just after Christmas is our technical. Uh, anniversary of our first episode release. Um, but uh, we have some special things that we want to release, you know, in December that are sort of related to a couple of holiday things. So we're going to keep those, but we thought we'd do our little year in review episode, I guess. You know, what are our f- year in wrap up? Year in wrap up. You know, what are the things that we've really learned and enjoyed doing over the past year? What are some of our favorite episodes? You know, just having sort of a little bit more of a hangout discussion, I guess, of yeah. just wrapping up what we've talked about so far this year, I guess. So anyway, uh, that'll be uh, releasing right the at first. the beginning of December. And yeah. then we will be going into 
our end of the year stuff, which will be a lot of fun to do as well. I'm excited about this. Yeah. Yeah. I'm excited about a lot of stuff we have coming up. I'm excited about every episode. Yeah. Which we should all just be. (laughs) Looking at at the, we, we actually have ourselves planned all the way through the end of 2022 (laughs) right now. So yeah, we are, we are a year advance planned yeah. <laughs> which is nice because it has a plan but we can also deviate from it if we want to yeah we sure can so and we already did in fact we uh we yes. <laughs> we decided we had some things planned out that we decided to move around because uh other things came out that we were really keen on talking about so um yeah it's gonna be some i hope fun stuff ahead that people are really going to enjoy i know we'll have fun recording them uh i hope you you guys will have fun listening to them yeah (laughs) as always with every episode that we do yeah so speaking of the along those lines uh we could really use your help if you can drop us a rate and review uh in apple podcasts that helps to spread the word about our show if you can if you have Twitter and are on there, if you can follow us at movie life pod and uh, give us a follow. Also, we have a couple more giveaways here uh, to help us increase our following a bit. Hopefully Michelle has a couple of codes. Yes. I have the digital codes for both the original invisible man and the 2020 version. The 2021, it might be expired. I'm not for sure, but sometimes they still work. Yeah. (laughs) We'll try it out. So we'll probably give away both in one kind of thing. That's Uh, a good idea. Yeah. Just, just in case one of them doesn't work. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, We're pretty, uh, the, uh, the original um, seems to be for sure good to go, but it doesn't have an expiration date on it. Yeah. But the, uh, (laughs) the uh, 2020 version is, you know, a lot of times it'll be fine. I think it it usually is, but um, you know, so hopefully it'll still work. And if not, <laughs> hey, you'll have the original. There you go. So we'll we'll put that out there following the release of this episode and uh, hope that you have enjoyed that. Okay. Yep. You can find us online. You can find me on Twitter at Michelle N. Egan. And you can find me at Brian D. Kuiper. And the show is at Movie Life Pod. Yeah. All right. So. That was fun. Yeah. Lots of great stuff to talk about with these movies and uh, looking forward to what we got coming up too. All right. Definitely. So what are we going to do? Thank you all for listening. I was going to ask you. You were going to ask me? Okay. (laughs) Okay. So thank you everybody for listening. And uh, what are we going to do next time? We'll see you next time. Yes, we will. Bye. Bye.